Civil Sentinel Podcast. The Civil Sentinel Podcast is brought to you by Zavala1836.com. That's Z-A-V-A-L-A 1836.com. If you like all things tactical apparel and stickers, head on over, check it out. The Sports Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Hey. What's up? Epi- <laughs> did I fuck it up already? <laughs> we'll, try that again. we'll try that one more time. I'm sorry about that. I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't no, supposed we're keeping to keeping it. We're keeping it. <laughs> Another episode of Civil Sentinel. Uh, what episode is this? Are we on 13? 14? I don't know. Uh, so it's, yeah, something like that. 14? This episode is brought to you by the state of Idaho. Again. <laughs> us and our stupid papyrus font. Who wants to Who wants to give us the weather forecast for Idaho real quick? I, I think I did that like a couple of podcasts ago. I pulled up a weather forecast for like somewhere... It doesn't matter. You just wait 15 minutes and then the weather changes. Like we seriously had quarter inch hail followed by 70 degree weather the other day. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. not like Florida too. Right. <laughs> Boise Air Terminal. It is currently 75 degrees. Humidity is 25%. Northwest winds at 11 miles per hour. Barometer is 30.14 inches and falling. Two point is 37 degrees. Visibility is 10 miles. Last update was 12th of May at 8 o'clock. 37 degrees. Can I get some of that? That's dew point. That's dew point. Oh, okay. Wait, what's the low? Does it give you the low temperature for tonight? I'm guessing 48. Tonight, low, 51 degrees. Tomorrow, your high is 80 degrees tomorrow, boys. Bright, bright and sunny. I think we're uh, to the point where we're just about out of like spring and we're really going to start transitioning into summer. So it goes from, you know, 60 degrees to like, Satan's asshole. I don't. I mean, it'll go to like 110 <laughs> for the next 90 days. One full blown summer down here in Texas, man. It's humid and sticky and hot. And I'm sure Florida. At least it's a dry heat here. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And then true. in Florida, it's it's never. It's always summer. It's never not summer. We get cold sometimes. <laughs> Just depends. This winter, this past winter, wasn't like. Too bad. There's been, I mean, I like the cold. I've, I've lived all up fucking north, out west, Colorado, Utah, and, and all that shit. And um, I love the snow and everything. I hate the, the heat down here. Today was like a, uh, a feel like temperature of like 97 degrees or something. Mm-mm. The worst yeah. part about Florida is you take a shower and then you walk out of the shower and then you need another shower. That was my experience uh, for the three months that I lived in Florida. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> Nothing ever dries. It's always yeah. like some moisture to like everything. Your t- your towel, like your bath towel, never really dries. It's like retains like a level of moisture the entire time. It's like the and intro the- to the Fallout games. It's like wet. There's always been wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight we are joined by the hardcore comms guys, HXC comms. You guys want to introduce Mike yourselves Mike. real quick? Uh, yeah, I'm Mikey. Um, I'm the marketing and uh, design half of Hardcore Comms. I'm a general class uh, amateur radio operator for those that care about licensing. And um, I, uh, I it, when I'm not doing radio stuff, 
I enjoy camping and off-roading and uh, archery. Archery, nice. Yeah. You're a bow hunter. I'm not a bow hunter. Uh, I shot a competitive um, uh, like target, uh, 3D target shoots for like nine years, and I use a, uh, I use a recurve bow. I mean, I suppose I could break into, into bow hunting one of these days uh, with what I do. I'm already kind of part of the way there, but it's just really been a thing that's more like uh, – keep arm strength and uh you know excuse to get outside so right right hobby more than anything yeah well, man you're in a good part of the country to do some bow hunting if that's what you want to get into that's what i hear i was gonna say i'm i'm working on him i'm mike i guess you could say i'm the founder and we'll say lead educator i don't i don't know i hate titles but i've been El doing Jefe. radio now for yeah El Jefe. um i've been doing radio now for i don't know Probably going on 10, 10, 11 years. Uh, messed around with CB. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my grandma, she was super into uh, CB and my dad and uncle. Uh, they were both uh, truck drivers. And so, I mean, they ran totally outlaw rigs, you know, thousand watt linear sitting between the seats type of stuff. And uh, I think out at uh, out at the farm, I think I still have grandma's, I think she had a 2000 watt um, tube um, CB amp and she ran it on a, what, a 40 foot tower with a um, directional. I mean, real, real wild shit to grow up around. And so, you know, the, the radio bug always kind of bit me. And then, like I said, messed around with some CB stuff. And then I was like, amateur radio, like I'm enough of a prepper. I can get into this. And so I started down my, you know, technician, got that about a year later, upgraded to general. And then about a year after that, I went to extra and, you know, just kind of stuck with it. And I was always like the radio guy, but I hung out with all the gun people. And so eventually someone came and they were like, hey, can you teach us how to use these? Because like, you know, we want to use like radios on the range and to talk to our friends and stuff like that. And I was like, if you want to hear me literally ramble on about radios, I will talk your ear off. Like I like I'll teach you whatever you want to know for as long as you want to listen to me. Um, and so that's where hardcore comms came into. And I, uh, you know, Mikey and I both grew up in like the DIY hardcore punk scene, um, you know, circa, say, 99, 98 up until current. And like, we've just never really kind of grown out of it. Um, and so I've always liked that aesthetic and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of the branding that I decided to go about. And, you know, from there, it's just kind of grown. And we haven't been as active as I wanted to. Um, the year kind of really started off on not a great note. And I've slowly been kind of recovering from there. So, um, yeah, it's 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 good. I was going to ask, are y'all both from Idaho originally? Um, my dirty secret is that my family's from California, but I moved to Idaho when I was young enough that most people give me a pass. I didn't really have, I moved when I was young enough that I didn't really have any control <laughs> over where I was living. So, uh, yeah, I, I graduated high school in the same town as Mike. And, uh, and I would say that for all intents and purposes, I'm an Idahoan for sure. Yeah. I give him a pass on that one. My family has been in the, uh, Idaho area since before it was Idaho. Um, I think six i think six generations um moved from uh wales into the kind of the 
uh, Bear Lake area, you know, right above Utah. And they settled there. My whatever great, 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 great grandfather. Um, he actually was the first postmaster for the Idaho Territory. And uh, we even have a uh, there was a town and a lake and there's even still a reservoir to this day named after us. So all, all um, those Mormons. All those Mormons out there are about to dox you based off that information, just so you know. <laughs> and I'm related to half of them, so yeah. it, it happens. It's like uh, Golden Spike days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wild. I started doing a lot of like, how far back do we go in Idaho? And like literally traced it back. I think I think they got here in 18. I want to say it was like 1860s. I think is when they came to the Idaho territory and Idaho became a state in 1890. So good old days. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not very many of us around, but you know, we've been here for a little while. So that genealogy stuff is wild, man. My, uh, I did, uh, I did one of those ones where I spit into the vial and they, and they came back and taught me about my heritage. And then my half brother did it unbeknownst to me. And one day I get this notification in the app, which is like a weird thing to experience where it was just like, Hey, I think we found your brother. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I opened it up and I was like, Oh, there you go. So it's like, yeah, you, you did it too. I, I just yeah. did it. I just yeah. Did it. I just did it. Yeah. We didn't know that we did it, but I mean, that that's kind of cool. It's a little, proves a little bit. Was of it like the, uh, it was like the, the 23 and me, mm-hmm. that one. That's the one that I did. Yeah, I heard the algorithm on that one was a little bit better. But I, what do I know? I don't know. I just read, I read some things on Reddit and they were like, this one's better. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and now China has your DNA. That's a, that's a legitimate <laughs> source right there. I read it. Yeah. Hey, I get half I get half of my information from Reddit and the other half from, I don't know, Facebook and Twitter. Let's just let's, you know, that means. That means I get a quarter of my information from those sources because I just let Mike tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. I like to consider uh, myself a conspiracy therapist is really what I is really what I like to like call myself. Like I will go with you down your rabbit holes and <laughs> I probably know a little bit about everything. So like, <laughs> did you know this about that conspiracy? Like so Okay, so what about the conspiracy that they're using all these uh 23andMe, these DNA sites for eugenics. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, uh, what was it? I think a Chinese company ended up buying the whole thing. And so for like $10 billion. Yeah. Yeah, So now it's one of those, uh, you know, all the people that were like, oh, no, it's totally secure. They, you know, all the stuff is kept on their servers and they don't, uh, 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 you know, like, oh, yeah, no, China will just come in and buy the company and then they have it. When the world returns to dust, no one will care about my DNA. So I think I'm <laughs> I'm safe for the time being. Also, I mean, if they clone me in a hundred years, good for them, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming back sassy. So he joined his DNA with a female frog. <laughs> Tight. <laughs> I mean, we could just like transcend into the airwaves if uh, you hook up that 2000 watt like cb tube and then just like grab onto the antenna and <laughs> well what's crazy is so, like i have a 2000 amp at home a 2000 watt amp for cb it probably you could probably cheat and get get it on 12 and 10 but then also like just out of frame is another 2000 watt uh am uh amplifier that i have that I still haven't hooked up because it requires 240 volts. <laughs> it's easy. 
Just bypass one of your breakers. It's fine. Yes. What I really would like to do is figure out how to have 240 off grid so that then I could take it out into the Idaho backcountry. And for legal reasons, this is a joke, run a really baller, hardcore pirate radio station. So <laughs> in Minecraft. Like, yeah, in Minecraft. Like, it'll just be nothing but like terror, uh, knocked loose, Kubla Khan, like all the good stuff. Just go to Burning Man, dude. They already do that. I was hearing you talk about that on the. Yeah. Was that with uh, Signet? And uh, yeah, you were talking yeah. about that Burning Man. They just set up stations. Well, but yeah. see, I want T- I want Tito to hear me over on the other side of the <laughs> country. So. <laughs> Our. Uh... Our local amateur radio club that we do stuff with are actually doing a trip to the Black Rock Desert. And the guy that's leaning, I love him so much. He's like a diehard conservative older dude, like super grumpy. He's he's the absolute best. And he every time he brings it up, he's like, we're going to the Black Rock Desert. But uh, if you want to go out there for Burning Man, that's several weeks before. So you got to figure that out yourself. <laughs> like He just gets really grumpy about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest part about Burning Man is I'm I'm very concerned conservative and and i'm a christian and that crowd does not match any of my uh ideology but i love i love the art i met some amazing people out there and i i see not to get too political on the podcast but that's something about conservatives i feel like we can have a conversation and enjoy somebody who doesn't share our ideologies our friends on the left can't do that i just always consider it like going to the zoo like you just I'm going to go and I'm going to look at stuff and like, hey, that's really neat. Like, huh, that's a way to do it. Like, exactly. Yeah. That, that's what going to Burning Man is like. It's like you go and you see these amazing just pieces of art that people spent tens of thousands of dollars on. And then you hear like the world's most amazing, incredible sound systems. And there's nothing there to reverberate any of the audio. So the audio is crystal clear and just somebody needs to start doing a Burning Man out at the Avalord. I bet that would be pretty wild out there, too. The Alvord Desert? Alvord. Alvord? I thought there was but, a place over in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you yeah. there. Yeah. I'm just... I just want to go back out there and ghost ride the whip. It was a little, it was a little bit wet last time we took a trip out there, so I didn't want to get too crazy with it, because... You, you can get stuck out there. If it's wet, you can get really stuck out there. I was going to say, I don't know if you guys follow the off-roading news, but there was someone in uh, the Salt Lake area, like, two maybe three years ago like right as pandemic and lockdowns were starting to happen they took their truck out to the middle of like a playa and it just got stuck in like four feet of mud and they just had to leave it there for six months no recovery companies were going out there like no one could get out there and it was just like completely wet and this was like a brand new at the time like third gen tacoma and they probably dumped like another sixty thousand dollars worth of boltons and shit into it and it's just wild to me how like you would just be so woefully unprepared and get yourself in that situation. Uh, but he still had internet. So he was like live streaming from it. And I was like, bro, you're going to die. Like, I don't, I don't know why you're doing this. You're, like, you're just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, gotta, I guess you got to make that content. I would just oh. be sitting out there like with a radio help. Um, you wouldn't be sitting out there with a the radio. You would have taken weather conditions before you drove out there. That's a, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would have blown three tires on the way out. So. Oh my gosh, we'll get into that story. <laughs> yeah, super good. We uh, we almost got a. <laughs> I feel like we almost got a sponsorship from Gorilla Tape. Yeah. Wait, why? So we were uh, we were doing a trip in the Owyhees up to Silver City, and uh, 
Mike drives a, a, a an early uh, 2000 Chevy, and uh, I'm a Toyota boy. And we were uh, we were out there with just like a variety of vehicles, just doing some radio shit and checking out this cool ghost town. And on the way back down, Mike gets a flat tire, and uh, he did not have his lug key. Uh, he had le- he had lent it out to a, a stranger. He'd done a good deed, and it didn't go unpunished. And so we were like looking around with what we had to fix this tire. And I had gorilla tape. No one had a plug kit. I had an air compressor and that was it. And we actually made a tire plug out of gorilla tape and then made weave out of that gorilla tape and applied it over the top. And that motherfucker hold PSI. Uh, we only had to fill it up two times getting down to the bottom. And then as soon as we get out on pavement, he uh, he blows another tire. <laughs> And so now, so then we're like, okay, well, we'll just replace the uh, the tire with uh, a different tire with the other tire that we uh, we had in the back because his wife had brought him a lug key at this point. Um, and then he blew out a third tire, so he blew out three tires in one trip. Yeah, Dang. yeah, it was. Yeah, I had hit a piece of like flat pack furniture that was in the road the uh, the <laughs> night before. And when I walked out to the truck in the morning, I was like, well, I mean, if the, any of the tires look low, I'm not like, I'll just ride shotgun with somebody and uh, walked out. All the tires were fine. Checked all the pressures. But once we got off road and started crawling, it had I had hit and it was a bunch of staples. And so the staples literally oh. just tore just just holes in the tires. I mean, it wasn't like like you could shove a plug in them. Like it was like one inch gashes in the tires. So, yeah, that was a that was a a good good intro into uh, preparedness uh, for a lot of people that were with us. And (laughs) it was a testament to the fortitude and pig headedness of myself where it was just like, no, we're just going to keep going. Like, what are we going to do? Stand on top of the mountain and look at each other like shove stuff like in tires until it holds air and we'll just we'll make it home like we'll get home yeah. eventually if it works yeah. it works so we sent uh we sent pictures and the testimony to gorilla tape and they sent me like a backpack filled with gorilla tape products <laughs> and like a gorilla tape dad hat which is like i wear with a lot of pride now uh it is like a really cool thing but i mean i've always carried gorilla tape uh, as part of my edc both in my vehicle oh shit kit and on my person and uh it, i mean it's just it's super good super super strong and like versatile but now i'll never get caught with my pants down without it because the fact that it could hold a tire that's insane <laughs> yeah i mean it held i think we had the tire up to about 35 40 psi so yeah i mean the fact that gorilla tape will hold that much psi is i mean that's a testament to the product so yeah, that's good. I got like, uh, I don't think it's in here. I mean, I keep gorilla tape like in my truck. One of my spearfishing floats has like a hole in it and uh, it's like a high pressure like spearfishing float and it got like a little pinhole in it somehow somewhere. I think a spear poked it or something, but I just gorilla taped over that thing and it's fine. It's been like that for a year now. <laughs> I mean, you probably just use like some rubber cement and gorilla tape and like patch a bike tire, whatever. Oh yeah. I mean, from now on, I mean, I went out and I went out and bought a couple rolls and staffed stuffed them in everything because it was like, I mean, you have my you have my undying, you know, like the whole ride for the brand thing. Like Gorilla Tape is a ride or die now because like, oh, yeah, the the fact that it will patch a tire and like drive on it like it is amazing. 
I used to like rebuild my skate shoes out of Gorilla Tape. Yeah. 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 Like back totally. in the day. You can like rebuild. You can get like another six months out of a set of like skate shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the glue on that stuff, like you ever like like peel it and like it sticks to something for a while and you take it off, like glue is on there. Oh, oh yeah. whatever. And and that stuff's hard to tear. Like, you know, regular duct tape, you can just kind of, you know, start the corner and just rip it. That gorilla tape's like, no, I gotta I need to cut this or something. It's tough stuff. <laughs> it's it's legit. And then they're related uh, to gorilla glue, right? That's the same company. Yeah, right? same company. Yeah, same company. Yeah, that stuff's legit too, man. Yeah. Like I remember yeah. we were on a we were on a job a few years ago and I was still doing carpentry at the time. We ran out of wood glue, but I had a little one of those little tiny uh, gorilla glue things in my in my bag. Like, use that. We you know put little dabs of gorilla glue on there. We weren't sure if it was even going to work. We slammed this piece of trim up and shot it in. And then you know it, it foams up and like comes out the cracks and stuff. And we'd let it, wait for it to dry and trim that off. But uh, that stuff was not coming off, man. It was on there. Good products, really works. Oh yeah, yeah. This podcast uh, brought to you by Gorilla Tape. Just kidding. That'd be sick though. <laughs> Maybe you can support a corporate sponsorship. Yeah, hashtag, uh, hashtag Gorilla Tape. <laughs> uh, I am drinking, or I just finished a, uh, a hard cider uh, from Schilling. And it is called Grapefruit and Chill, and it just tastes like uh, kind of like Ruby Red Squirt, and it's amazing. And I love it. I'm not a grapefruit fan. Truth. Yeah. Anything, like even IPAs, it's too much of that grapefruit taste. I can't do it, but ugh. good on good on anybody that can drink that stuff, because I, I sure as heck ain't going to do it. So, yeah, I'm not a big yeah. grapefruit person either. I'm not huge. I don't mind grapefruit flavoring in some stuff, but I'm not going to eat a grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. I just peel them and eat them like they're oranges. They're my. I I have ever since I was a kid. I love them. What? I don't know, man. <laughs> okay, this guy's crazy. I got peer pressured, <laughs> I got peer pressured into into drinking um at, before this, so I made a rum and coke. Nice. nice. <laughs> I got uh some yellow bellies. Coors original. The banquet. Yes, the sir. banquet of beers. Yeah. Um, I am just drinking straight Jack Daniels. So, You're a fine yes. American, sir. I am drinking Jack Daniels and smoking a pipe. So, yeah. Tobacco pipe, that is, for everybody marijuana? out there. No. no I, uh, nah. it, you know, it would just it taint, like, the the nice, like, burl wood of this. Yeah. Uh, or Blair wood of the, of the pipe, so. That means I'm ruined. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was one of those, like, hardcore straight edge guys until about 30. So I, uh, you know, I have the, I have my three X's on my, on my leg. And so I figured three X's Roman numerals, that'd be 30, you know, 10, 10, 10. So 30 years old. So if I get 30, you just get a free pass at that point. So you've just alienated so many of the listeners. Like no one has any idea what we're talking <laughs> no about. Has no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well you see there was this band in 1980 called minor threat <laughs> yeah. and there was another one in the 90s called earth crisis and we modeled our lives after them and yeah, you guys are exactly. punk rock man you are the real deal i mean it's called hardcore comms for a reason that's yeah, true yeah that's yeah i think on our uh our like faq it's like what is what is hxc comms and it's like Tell me you've never listened to the Chromags without telling me you've listened to the Chromags. That's true. So, yeah. Well, hold on. Who uh, was that in the in the group chat the other day that was like, "Tell me you've never set up an HF master." Oh <laughs> shit, that was me. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I died when, when, when you said that, dude. I was like, oh, my okay, God. So you got to tell the story for the audience. To give, us, give us the story. Tell us the context. Yeah, Damn. you go. I'll fill in. I'll fill in okay. the point. Uh, I won't say who it was. Somebody in the group chat is uh, getting into the eight, into the HF game with you know, kind of like me and and uh, Civil. We're all kind of jumping onto this HF train, and uh, I guess my people... plan is working out. By the way, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I think when I very first started, you know, Mikey was like, "We need to focus on the handhelds, VHF, UHF," and I was like, "Nah, dude, we need to go HF. We need to go deep, and we need to go long. Like this is a long play. Everyone will catch up to us at some point. Yes. Every." <laughs> Every yes. dude that hangs out with me and Mike and like becomes our friend, our wives always give them the same warning. They're like, hey, they're really good at spending other people's money. So just like <laughs> know that in advance. If you hang out with them, like no, no gun is going to be enough. No radio is going to be enough. Like there will always be accessories to buy. There will always be things that you need to add to your kit. Yeah. <laughs> I, met, okay. I met these guys named Mike and Mike, and now I have an ICOM 705 and a, and a whole comms back backpack and and a, and a mag loop antenna on the roof of my truck <laughs> you laugh i actually have we actually have a friend of ours that uh um he works for a dod contractor and he asked us like hey what do i need to buy and i was like 705 like buy this antenna this antenna buy this setup buy you know this that and the other and like five days later he posts a picture of just this mountain of stuff and i was like yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and now my bank account's empty. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, somebody in the I guess I guess people around the country aren't as fortunate as me. You guys don't. I guess other places in the country don't have trees. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what you know the nickname of Boise, right? It's the city of trees. It's it. Yeah. I there's. The thing that's funny is there's not I mean, there's a lot of trees, but they're in people's yards. They don't just randomly grow in nature like we just have like like five foot sagebrush. That's like yeah. once you get out of town. If you see me in your front yard throwing an antenna weight over your oak tree, mind your business. Yeah, I mind the, exactly. <laughs> no, I've been to Boise. I, I remember what it looked like. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, one of our buddies is uh, he got him. You guys got to get like a mast. You got to get your antenna up in the air for this shit to, uh, you know, get get your signals out. Um, and he and he bought this mast that, you know, some of the guys in the group like suggested him to get. And then he went to go hang this big old heavy uh, chameleon um, tactical dipole uh, like center piece from it and everything and hoisted up like 10 meters and uh, and, and the mass snapped. And then you guys were like, well, it looks like I'm too late to the group. I was you guys you needed to do this and needed to do this. And I was like, I just have a I got trees. I got trees everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we're not as fortunate as you. OK, yeah. I mean, I, I just need some paracord. Uh, it's like a, a, I got a sock with change in it that I throw over a, a tree limb, um, and then I attach my antenna to that paracord, and then I I hoist it up and I stake the ends out, and I'm on the air like I'm good to go. Yeah, the the reason I got why I went the mass route as opposed to like I'm always going to rely on like a tree is just because that like if you go if you go south uh, towards Nevada. I mean, there's not a tree to be had. It's just right. sagebrush. Yep. And I mean, you can make it work. You can make an HF antenna work laying it across the top. Um, I mean, Wyoming Survival has proven this multiple times. 
You can just lay wire across sagebrush. It will work. Um, I never want it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for Envis. And I just never wanted to get to that point where it was like, God, I have nothing to hang this off of. I need to do something. And so I was like, if I just always plan for having a mast, then if I don't have like if I have a tree, great. I'll just throw away, string it in the tree. If I don't have a tree, then I can actually put it up. So I've just always like geared myself that way um, is the I'm not going to rely on having a tree because I may not have a tree. Um, I'm that type of person that I'm like, I overanalyze everything to, you know, the nth degree where it's like, hey, so if I have this problem, what are all the conceivable issues surrounding this possible idea? Do I possibly have and then plan for every single one of those like things that may arise and I mean, it may be the most, it may be a 1% chance, but I'm like, oh, I have a solution for this. I have already thought about it, and I've done like 45 hours of research on it. There you go. See, that's how I do things. Whenever I get into something, like, I kind of semi-obsess over it, and I'll go spend all my free time at work reading about it. If I don't... It's called I'll... autism. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we all the same? We, we all do the same thing? So I'm not, I'm not weird, all right? Okay. Yeah, I, I thought I was I thought I was weird. And then I started hanging out with radio people and I was like, oh, I'm home. Like, <laughs> everybody's. Oh, uh, it's it's great. I'll, you all understand me. I mean, I've I think, already spent, uh, let's see, four hours, five hours today, like researching this uh, uh, APX 7000 uh, after they gave it to me, which I need to tell you the story in just a second to the audience. But I was like, OK, I need to start reading about this thing. It's just like. Sitting at my desk is like, I should be working right now, but I need to read about this radio right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like combing through forums and like, like, okay, okay. It's now I have to go to work. I have to. Yeah. I think a lot of people that I meet that have like similar hobbies as, as we do uh, are into similar things, have that personality trait, but I don't necessarily think it's autism. I think what it is is like, some people's brains just lend themselves more to like problem solving. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like mine started when I was about six years old with a game called Tetris. And I became like obsessed and affixated on Tetris. And ever since then, I've just been looking for that reward system of like problem solving. Um, it's followed me around. It's what I do for it's like it. it's part of my career and stuff now. It's crazy. So, so I, tell me if I got you pegged here. Uh, th this part of my brain that like obsessively attaches to things and researches and tries to figure stuff out and pre-plan and you know like if 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 I'm gonna get into something, I'm gonna get into every single little aspect of it and I'm gonna spend an ungodly amount of money on it. Guns, yeah. radios. Now it's HF. What else? My truck. I have a Toyota Tundra Gen One that I upgraded everything on it. It's it's endless. You know when I come home, this drives my wife nuts. I cannot sit still and I can't watch TV. So if if I'm on the couch with the kiddos and uh, I'm watching TV, I'm on my phone researching, constantly looking stuff up. And I'm willing to bet that y'all probably do the exact same thing. Yeah, it's I, it, I don't it's 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 not that I'm sitting there and I'm like dead, like doom scrolling through TikTok. Like I'm looking at like so my current obsession is um I'm currently building a rifle to go shoot the uh, Matthew Quigley shoot in Montana in about a month. And so I have gone down the rabbit hole of 
1800s single shot cartridge rifles and how to cast my own bullets. And like I've been buying lead and learning how to alloy lead. And I mean, it's like I have my the 4570 that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my shoulder is currently hamburger. I went out last I went out yesterday and shot and finally, like I did the speed ladder on my load development. And uh, at one point I was up to, I think it was 1850 feet a second on a 470 grain bullet. You do the calculations on that, and it's like 3,600 pound feet of energy at the muzzle. Yeah, it is. My shoulder is literally bloodshot, black and blue, swollen. Like it is gross looking. Uh, (laughs) There's no reason for a 470 grain projectile to be going that fucking fast. (laughs) Yeah. He posted up pictures in our group chat, like one of the group chats we're in yesterday. And I thought he was giving us a preview of his OnlyFans, but he was just showing us how red, white, and blue he is. Yeah. 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 It's, it is like, it is special. And like, I got, like, when I got to work today and uh, I manage a warehouse in my like day life, manage a warehouse and run a machine shop. And like, I went to pick up a box and it was like 30 pounds and it was like, no, you're not picking this up. Yeah, I mean it. It's bad. I got like I'm like I seriously am thinking about like downloading this and like slowing them down because I'm like I I don't know how I'm gonna get through like fifty. I think it's like fifty six shots at varying distances. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be my yeah. I after two days I'm gonna be hamburger. So what's the range on those things? At a thousand yards, it's still going. 1100 feet a second and makes about i think it's about 1100 pound feet of energy um at a thousand at a yards. thousand yards yeah it's the drop at a thousand yards i think the drop at a thousand i want to say oh what was the moa i forget i know at 800 it was i think i needed 68 moa of elevation that's it um yeah wow yeah. That's not that's yeah. not bad, really. They are they are cooking out of that barrel. It is <laughs> gross. <laughs> what's, what's what's the twist on that barrel? Uh, one in eighteen. One in eighteen. Oh, really? Yeah, so, one in eighteen, and I'm running a twenty-eight inch barrel. Twenty-eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that gun realistically probably needs to be about. I would say it needs to be about seven pounds heavier, like to take a little <laughs> bit of the pounds. recoil out. Yeah, it oh weighs. I think it weighs about. 11 right now and it it could stand to put on a few pounds because it's i mean it still just is it kills on one end and maims on the other so that's your that's your current obsession that's what you said yeah, yeah that's my doom, current doom scroll <laughs> and let me tell you what i have learned so much from like forums that were designed in the i'm gonna say circa 2003 um you know bbs boards and stuff like that just like looking at these posts from dudes that are probably in the grave now and like trying to learn like how to do this stuff because there's i mean there's literally no one that is around my age that i know of that it's like hey how do you cast lead and um the closest the closest that i have is um our friend ben who runs havoc holsters shout out to have a colsters. I don't have a colsters. He uh, used to work for a company here called Acura Bullets, and they do uh, like jacketed 
And so I was able to glean like a little bit of information on bullet manufacturing and lead and stuff like that. But, you know, he's like, you know, we were forming them and, you know, and, you know, plating bullets. So it's like, I don't even really know how to cast them. But, um, you know, I talked to him a little bit about that, but I recently got him into 4570 as well. So, um, again, my plans are working. Um, I just like to bring everybody over to my side and I'm like, listen, yeah, what you're into is cool, but like, just come hang out with me for a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll totally just ruin you. (laughs) That's crazy. That's awesome, man. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Let's transition into, tell us a little bit more about HXC comms. What do you guys do? What are you about? Where are you going with it? Tell us about the classes you teach, all that good stuff. I'll let you take um, this, Mikey. Yeah, I'll start. Um, so I I think that the best way to describe HXC comms is that we aim to be a communications consulting and training outlet for those that are radio curious um, and those that are um, into like the culture of preparedness. Um, in our in our area that we live in, that kind of comes in really three flavors. Like, there's you know definitely like tack boy uh, uh, nerds, like folks that want to learn how to run stuff on their plate carrier and the gun community, and they've been really uh, really accepting us with open arms, and that's awesome. Uh, we also like to you know reach out to folks that are more like tinfoil hat ish that are <laughs> preparing for shit hitting the fan. Um, and then we actually have a lot of folks in uh, the religious community and that are just kind of like normal people, like just like homesteaders and stuff like that, that, that talk to us too, uh, just for solutions for there. Um, and really it just, uh, it kind of was born out of the fact that if you do something you sh- uh, well, you shouldn't do it for free. And Mike was doing a lot of education and training, um, but he, when he uh when he he and i started talking about radio stuff one thing that i noticed is that um he had a lot of good thoughts and information but it wasn't organized and it didn't have like a consistent mold and message that it kind of like hit home it wasn't digestible for for people there'd be like these big walls of text and stuff like that and it was all good there but that's where i kind of stepped in and as with a background in like design and product management i was able to kind of quickly help him organize his thoughts and have him um, put them to paper and make it so that the classes were like predictable, the same length and that they hit the key concepts home that Mike needed. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the backbone of our business. That's actually really awesome. You have anything to add other Mike? Yeah. um, You know, it's, it is, it's, it's the place where it really started was a friend of ours runs a company called, uh, operational industries. I had gotten to know him, uh, you know, going out to their range days and stuff like that. It was one of those where, Hey, come out here, hang out, kind of show us some stuff. And then that morphed into, Hey, do you want to teach a class? Cause we're thinking about starting to host classes. You know, I had taught a few classes and this was before Mikey came on. It was definitely one of those things where, like he said, I had a lot of information. I always le- left to my own devices it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. I will just keep telling you information. And I, you know, I try to read people's faces and be like, do you, are you understanding what I'm telling you? Or are you just sitting there and nodding and being like, oh yeah, totally. I totally understand what you mean by the, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of signal over distance and, you know, how that math formula relates to 
and I would do stuff like that. And it's like people don't really need to know what the uh, inverse proportion law is to kind of predict how far their signal will travel. And so Mikey came in and was like, yeah, you don't need like, let's throw this out. Let's throw this out. Let's streamline this. And I think through that, the classes have gotten a lot better and we're seeing a lot more people walk away from the class with more confidence when it comes to radios. Um, because I noticed that there is a lot of people that can't just like sit in front of a computer and consume information like off of videos or stuff like that. They need to actually have somebody put a radio in their hand and be like, now push this button and talk into it. You know, we 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 want to fill that void kind of thing, you know, and it's we always say, like, if you want to if you want to get your ham radio license, there's a thousand and one resources out there that will teach you how to get your ham radio license. You know, and literally getting your ham radio license is teaching a test. I can't tell you the amount of people that I know that have gotten their ham radio license still don't know anything about radio. And to me, it's yeah, it's 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 a disservice. Like you you have this thing that says, okay, now you're a licensed radio operator. You don't know how to do anything. You know, how do you build an antenna? Like how, what antenna do you need? Do you need a directional? Do you need a, you know, a, a U, omnidirectional? Are you What's a directional antenna? My current no, 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 favorite. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> I no, know, that's, I know. That, that's, that's the mindset when you, when exactly. you get into ham radio. And, uh, you know, the other thing that we like to do is we're really big on showing people direction finding because Showing people how to be efficient at direction finding all of a sudden opens your eyes to the fact that it's a uh, it's like a, there's a there's a Clint Smith ism that was shouted at me from Clint Smith at Thunder Ranch, which is he likes it when law enforcement come to his classes and sees other people shooting and shooting better than the police because the police officer gets a, a reality check that. There are people out here that are better at you, that are better than you at this thing. That is what we like to show with direction finding. And it's that same type of mindset that it's like, okay, if I have a directional antenna, I can find you. If you're just jabbering on, I can find you in about 20 minutes. Like, give me a chance and I will exploit it. And at that point, all you are is a loot drop. You know, that's 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 really all it is. Mikey has a great story about, uh, you know, we're leaving, we're leaving uh, our local ham radio club one night and there's a dude just like, I don't know if he had his Vox on or something like that, just blasting uh, like Alex Jones or something like that, like over the two meter national simplex. Yeah, Yeah, it took, it took uh, about six amateur radio operators, like seven minutes to find this guy like to find his exact house where he was transmitting from and everything like that and, and go. And, and I think it was a misunderstanding. I don't think he was doing anything malicious, but it, it's like really funny because we'll get into a class and they'll have all these questions about, you know, all the stuff that we wanted to know, but we went out and did the research for, right? So they're like, well, I heard that like, if you're encrypted, like people can't find you, or I've heard that uh, if you're X, Y, Z, and we're like, oh yeah, you don't have to know what someone's saying to know how to find them. You just have to know how to, um, you know, have an, use enough intelligence to figure out where they're broadcasting and kind of figure out their cadence. Um, and you're, you're good to go. Like you can, you can find just about anyone. Yeah. You no, know, that's a common argument out there in the Instagram world. And 
Uh, I, know, I know you guys are a little bit more on the ham side, a little bit less on the tact. Tito and I, I think, are a little bit more tactical than ham. And we're not going to name any names. We're not going to do that here. But uh, <laughs> there's people out there that'll say, you know, well, people can still direction find you if you're using digital. So so why use digital? You know, we've said this in, in podcasts past. Okay, well, just because somebody can pry your front door open doesn't mean you shouldn't lock the door. Totally true. Totally justifiable. Um, I, I like I like the analogy that you can kill an elk with 22 long. It's probably not the most efficient way to do it, but like you, you, you probably could figure out a way to make, you know, 22 LR take down like a big game animal. Would I advise hunting with it, relying on it and having that be the only thing that you bring out to the wilderness? Probably not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, it's like what we talked about with, with C5. It's all about on the tactical side of things when it comes into all the encryption and that stuff, it's all about layering. You're, you're making it harder and harder. Every layer you add um, is is adding another degree of like difficulty. Um, and then a, a lot of it comes down to a, a huge part of the, the layering system is emissions control. I mean, when it comes to a, a communication security perspective is um, controlling your emissions and not transmitting from the same place, you know, for extended periods of time, um, making sure that no one's like hot keying a radio, uh, which would basically make the the the, the adversary or the DFing, um, you know, person just it just make their jobs easy is what you're doing. You're trying to make their jobs as hard as possible, collect as little information as possible and allow them uh, the least amount of time possible to get a uh, an accurate reading on on your location. Well, what was it? That was two weekends ago. We did a fox hunt with a ham club and we pride aside, we came in third. You know, it was it was one of those. It was a ding to the you know, it was definitely a ding to the to the psyche. Uh, but we uh, you know, we went out there and I think the transmitter is it's less than one watt, I think, is the one that uh, that they use. And they basically told us the. You know, the the territory that this can be in is, you know, the city limits. And basically, we kind of started in the middle of the city and we were on top of it in 20 minutes. Um, and I think it transmitted once every five minutes, um, you know, and, you know, it's it just goes to prove that it, it can be done. Um, now, you're also relying on the fact of like, OK, I know every five minutes this thing is going to go off. So I need to have my directional antenna ready to go at four minutes and 59 seconds. And then bam, like, okay, where is it? Okay, cool. And, you know, you're right on top of it. Um, I always like to tell people, you know, digital and encryption is great. Uh, the main place where I can see it being used most efficiently is if you go kinetic. Like you don't want to give away the information. You know, that's where your Baofeng is going to get you in trouble is like the second you go kinetic, all that information is out in the clear. Um, if you have digital and encryption on top of that, then as soon as you go kinetic, then the amount of time that it would take for somebody to try and crack all of the stuff is going to take an amount of time that is greater than whatever you're doing. Um, and, you know, it's it's good policy to keep your emissions control correct and to do all of those things in practice so that it gets ingrained in you and you just do it as a force of habit. Um, my nephew was telling me he he was a uh, um, in the Air Force, ran radios, and he was telling me he was 
out with the DEA at one point, the hardest time that they had, they were doing like the marijuana busts in like the California, uh, like national forests and stuff like that, the illegal grows. Um, he was saying the hardest time that they had trying to figure out, you know, and these are guys literally on like Balfangs. They didn't have fancy radios. They didn't have encryption. They literally picked random frequencies at random times. And it was the it was nearly impossible for them to try and get the drop on them because you had no schedule. When are they going to be on the air? What frequency are they going to be on? You know, it was just like they were all over the place. So every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, 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 it's on the scanner. They would try and listen in and boom, the transmission ends. And then it's gone. And they just they like ghosts. And he was like, it took us like two and a half, three weeks to figure out what was going on. They were manually frequency hopping. Yeah, they would just like every day. Okay, we're going to roll dice and figure out what frequency we're going to be on. And like, that's the frequency we'll run. And we're going to here's the hours like, you know, 20 minutes past the hour on these hours. And that's going to be our communications plan, keeping it totally random, totally randomized. And yeah, they they like I said, it literally took them two and a half, three weeks to figure out where they were, what they were doing, because by the time they had found the signal that they were transmitting on and that it was them, they were they were gone and they were done transmitting for the day. Yeah. So they were just it was the most frustrating thing. He was like, yeah, like, seriously, if you ever just want to confound the U.S. military, just random completely random yeah i was like huh i guess those D &D dice are gonna come in handy at some point (laughs) (laughs) that's good i mean it's kind of like what you were saying just a minute ago there's a huge difference between fox hunting uh like a ham fox hunt that's get that's you know going to transmit on one frequency every x amount of minutes for x amount of time as opposed to actually trying to like direction find like uh an element that is that is using good comsec and uh, and and emissions control. Uh, it, it would be it would like you said it would take weeks um, of dedicated time to to pinpoint an area even um, you know of a of, you know at least to pinpoint a small area of where these things could be happening. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. there's I I think there's a comparison you can draw there though, right? Like. Um, I, I've never, I've never shot and killed anyone, but I can imagine that shooting someone, especially if they're trying to shoot at me and they're moving at the same time is probably a lot more difficult than how I drill when I dry fire or when I go out to the range and I shoot steels, right? Like it's, 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 it, it adds like an X amount of difficulty, but what's important is the fundamentals and the muscle in uh, the muscle memory and the training and like the subtle way that you learn how to like use your loop or your directional antenna, right? All of those things can be applied to direction finding a moving person. Um, and we actually did, uh, we did a fox hunt that was a little bit more geared towards that. Um, that was pretty successful out here. Um, so there's an area along the Snake River that there's this probably 80 foot canyon wall that overlooks uh, a valley and it's got river on one side and canyon on the other. We ran a fox hunt where we actually had someone transmitting on an FRS radio so that they didn't have to be licensed or anything. They could just go out there with normal FRS radios. And uh, also on the side, he was transmitting to us on amateur frequencies. 
And so he was moving and we were spotting him from the canyon and communicating to him the whole time while a search party was wandering the desert looking for him. And every time they would get close, we would be able to tell him like danger near, lay low, like cut communications, all that stuff, right? And and it it was a it was a pretty fun exercise it was i would say very frustrating for those who didn't do the homework beforehand and like learn about the radio but what everyone walked away learning from that lesson was like okay cool so we took everything that we know about amateur radio fox hunting we also combined that with like hiking bringing enough water bringing the right equipment in order to like direction find and everyone walked away with like a better sense of how to do that and apply it in a real world set real world setting so i don't think that there's like no value in going out with an amateur radio uh, club and fox hunting it's just that you have to you have to figure out for yourself what what skills are going to be transferable and applicable um and also like you know if if you have an unknown, like they're not going to be transmitting every five minutes. What, what do you do? What do you do in that situation? So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm, it's uh, fuck. I just lost my train of thought. I don't know where I was going to go with that. Somebody else talk. <laughs> One of the biggest things a lot of people learned on that exercise was that their gear didn't work. Um, I mean, people like walked away being like, I need new boots. I need a different pack. Like this radio is shit. Like yep. there's a ton of people that walked away. And I think exercises like that, you know, try and chase somebody down that knows what they're doing. Um, you will figure out where your gear sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And, you know, we you do know. the whole, uh, I guess, technically it's kind of militia type training, but we'll go do, and I've been, I've been doing this for a decade now, but we'll go do an FTX. And uh, we used to do it a whole weekend. We used to go Friday night to Sunday afternoon. Now we limit it, but we're very intentional the whole time. But you, you know, like Wyoming says, your shit gets worked out in the field. So, yeah. you know, what, once you strap on your chest rig and you got your, your kit and you got your pack and you got all your gear and you start moving around in it, you're going to figure out, oh, this is hanging up on this. My sling's hanging up on this piece of kit. This isn't going to work in my pack. My pack is too top heavy or back heavy or side heavy. Or these straps are killing my shoulders. Or this pack is pushing down on the IFAC on the back of my belt and digging into my hips and making my legs hurt while I'm hiking 10 miles. You know, like you said, boots. These boots aren't going to cut it. I'm getting blisters. There's nothing I can do about it. Or... You know, th this radio is not cutting it for me. There's the whole Reddit community of, hey, I saw this on Instagram. I, I read about this on Reddit and I'm going to build it and I got it built. But if you're not get out, getting out there and using it, then what you're not learning anything, really. You, you got to get out there and stress yourself out, stress your equipment out, stress your gear out. You got to get your gear dirty. Your rifle needs to get wet in the rain. We have a saying, if it ain't raining, you ain't training. <laughs> you know. Well, that would that would be about maybe 2 months out of the year in Idaho, so. <laughs> yeah. I guess we can only train about 10 months. Or we yeah. can only train 2 months out of the year. It's rained the last four times I've been out. <laughs> but but you get the point though. Yeah. But, yeah, no, yeah. No, you know, like, you know, beware of somebody whose kit doesn't have any mud or holes in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, I mean, I've learned more. I have learned more about my radio, my radio kit and antennas in the field than I have sitting at the bench. Um, you know, cause again, I can sit at a bench and I can theory and I can do everything I want to and try and suss out every little thing about an antenna. Okay. I think I have it. I have it built perfectly. 
and then I take it out to the field, and I'm like, this thing isn't resonant anywhere. What is going on? <laughs> like, I built this thing. What the hell is going on? And so then you like, okay, well, I'll default back to, I have my 40-meter dipole. Okay, let's string that up. Let's go. Let's still get some operating done. Let's do that, you know. But it's, yeah, it, like you said, if you aren't taking stuff into the field, if you plan on operating in the field, if you aren't taking it into the field, you will never have the chance to really figure out. And that's that's another thing, you know. We tell people all the time. So we're actually teaching a class at a place called uh, SimShot. And they're one of those uh, simulator shooting galleries. Um, and it's it's here uh, local to us. It's over in Meridian. And we're teaching a class there on Wednesday. And we were talking to those guys. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you guys are concealed carry. You guys are gun guys. You have the same reaction to the guy that's like, oh, yeah, I have a gun. I put it in the safe. So, you know, I don't need to really train with, you know, I went, I took my concealed carry class. That's all I need to do. It'll sit in the safe. And when I need it, I'll go to the safe and I'll pull it out and I'll be good to go. And I'm like, that's exactly how we feel with radios. Guys are like, I have my Balfang. I put it on the <laughs> shelf and it's in the charger. And when the cell phone stop working, I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to use it. You know, nope. and it's like, nope, that's not happen. how that works. You know, yeah. and I, the one thing I've always told Mikey, uh, I and I bring this up in class all the time. Get a pair of blister pack radios, throw them in your wife's purse, because when you're at the concert, when you're at the mall, when you're at the this and you guys separate, pick up that radio, turn it on, change it to a channel and just, OK, if you know, you're going to go to the bathroom. All right. I'm going to go over to the, you know, Oakley store and, you know, we're going to be away from each other. If our cell phones aren't working, I can just pick up the radio and be like, Hey, where are you at? And it's a really easy implementation to use radio on the daily. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. Use radio daily because the more you can use it in your daily life, the less it demystifies everything. Um, you know, it's I I'm a big proponent of mobile radios. Like if you're going to be in radio, you're, you you want to fancy yourself an RTO. You need to have a radio in your say command vehicle. So like in my truck, in my Silverado, I have VHF, UHF and HF. And that is simply because I want to have a 100 watt radio that I can talk on whatever frequency I want to talk on at any time that I want to. And if we are going somewhere, if we are bugging out, if we're getting the hell out of Dodge, I don't want to have to think, oh, shit, I need to grab this and this and this and this and this to, you know, put antennas on the vehicle and all this kind of stuff. It's already there. It's permanently installed. All I have to do, get in the truck, hit the button. Mikey knows what channel we're going to go to, what channel we're operating on, and we're good to go. We're rolling down the road. Spoiler alert, um, it's always 420, just so you know. It's, it's always it's 420. It's, it's always 420. 420.69. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if there was a 69, if there was a 169.420 uh, on, on consumer radios like that, that's where I'd be. Yeah, I mean, so, there's a 169.420 on part 90 radios. Right. Yeah, which, which we did, I mean, we, and, you know, it was one of those we, uh, you know, we we had always got asked the question about commercial radios. You know, what do you guys think about this? What do you and, you know, it was always one of those that I told everybody about commercial radios. Listen, it can be done. Um, if you want to be legal about it, 
I can get you your business license. Like I can help walk you through the FCC process, file for your business license, and we can get you a business itinerant. You'll be completely legal. Run encryption, whatever you want to do. Like I'll walk you through it. I have a business itinerant, you know, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and it's, again, it's, it's the demystification of it. And, you know, I, I hadn't had any part 90 radios. Well, I am a habitual Facebook marketplace scroller. And <laughs> I was, I was looking on there one night and got myself into some trouble. And I found a guy that was selling a mag loop. And I was like, Hey, an HF mag loop, that'd be fun to have. I don't have one of those. Like I could do some experimenting, see how it works. See if they're, you know, let's figure out that it gives me another thing that I have experience to speak on. Um, Cause I don't like speaking on things that I don't have firsthand experience of. Um, so I was like, let's get a mag loop. We can play with it, do that. Well, I'm looking through this guy's, the rest of his listing and he has Motorola XTS 5,000 R's like listed. And I was like, Oh, hello. And so like message a dude and I'm like, Hey, I want that mag loop. Also, uh, what's up with these XTS radios? How many do you have? And he's like, I have four left. And I was like, if I buy all four, what kind of deal are you going to work me? And we ended up getting them for a untold hundred of dollars and it didn't even break two. And they were new inbox from the U S military. $150 the um, radio. Yeah, we paid 150 bucks for XTS 5000 Rs. Yeah. And so we ended up we ended up picking up I ended up picking up all four of them and so I have one, Mikey has one, another friend and then two of our other friends have them. And uh so we've been messing around with it. And I like it's one thing like now whenever ever anybody's like, "Listen, I want to get into a Motorola radio." The first thing I'm going to tell them is you are a masochist because that programming software is complete bullshit. Like that is the worst bit of software that I have <laughs> ever had my hands on. It is absolute trash. I mean, Tito can speak to this. I had to go to him and be like, dude, what is going on with this stuff? Like, I'm trying to help. I, I, I need to make some more videos. Um <laughs> What do you want to see? What do you want a video about? I, Your videos have helped me so much. I was actually just watching. So I bought uh, one of Signet's uh, uh, KDF shields so that I nice. can upload and do the hardware encryption. And so I bought uh, one of his kits and uh, he sold it to me unassembled. So I get to like solder it together because, again, I'm I'm that guy that's like, no, I want to build it so I know how everything works. So that when it breaks, I can be like, oh, no, I totally know how this like just do this thing here. Um, so, yeah, so I need to get the uh, I need the only thing I have left is the it's like a TTRS to high rows. Um, yeah. I need to get that cable built and uh, then we'll be in business. But I was actually just watching your video on like the KDF shield stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there we go. This is what right. I need. So, yeah, I mean, um, I need to make some more videos. Um, I, I've been I mean, like the last couple of weeks, I got my like HF radio and I've just been like, <laughs> dude, like I said, I, I think I said this in the chat. Nothing brings more joy to my heart than people that are having fun with radio. Um, I see them as tools and they are tools to an end. Because, um, again, I like I got in. I've been prepping now since. 
I like to make the joke. I've been prepping since Y2K. Um, I just keep waiting one day for the fucking power to turn off. And, um, you know, on that day, I'm just, I'm good to go. Like I have full solar backup, battery backup. Like uh, my whole house is set up. Like I have hand tools and, you know, hand saws and woodworking equipment. And Oh, uh, dude, you should have been down here for the snowpocalypse, man. Cause it was like a prepper's wet dream. Oh, dude, I would I was looking at it like, <laughs> God damn, if that like, here's the problem with Idaho. We have no natural disasters other than the super volcano that's just to the just to the east of us. Oh, and when that screwed. thing goes off, we are so screwed. I don't know what I like. It's one of those. I don't know what I'm prepping for, because, again, I live in Idaho. It's like the most conservative state there is. Like, you know, it, you, Texas has the problem of Austin. Idaho has the problem of like Boise and the Wood River Valley. They got the problem of like Mexico and like California too. Those are those are two. Well, yeah, problems. yeah. You have a yeah. There's a big giant problem on your southern border, but um, <laughs> uh, the uh, you know the the thing about it is is it's like even half the people in Boise, like even the Democrats in Idaho, would be raging conservatives anywhere else in the country um like that's that's what you know that's what's great about idaho is it's like you know you go to uh you go to a whatever rally for save the you know whatever whatever and there's like 12 people standing out front with a sign and it's like that's how big our you know rallies and that stuff get like other than when you get to the clan handle and the clan handle they have some they have some rallies but it's a little bit different i've been up there i spent some time in bonner's ferry it's uncomfortable up there sometimes for me (laughs) it is is wild it is that's the 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 panhandle of florida is also like the clan handle you get like (laughs) 20 miles away from the beach and you are in <laughs> yeah <laughs> you are in the fucking boondocks but not the, the but the white version i've got yeah. uh i've got lighting on right now so you can't see but i've i'm like pretty olive skin and it gets it gets dark in the summer and i got i got stopped up in northern idaho one time it was me and three other friends in the vehicle and the cop just zeroed in on me and he goes you got any warrants? And I go, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you got any warrants like for your arrest? And I looked around. I was like, are you going to ask anyone else? He goes, anyone got warrants? And, I, and there were, my friends were like, no. And he goes, what about you? <laughs> I was like, I don't, man. And he goes, you got a lot of tattoos. Are any of them gang related? And I like turned my arm over and he goes, is that? emperor palpatine from star wars tattooed on your arm i was like yeah he's like you're free to go it's fine like, this <laughs> fucking nerd <laughs> oh shit it's funny yeah that's awesome. funny yeah so but you know that's 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 kind of our whole ethos is just like edc your radio like carry that thing with you and like have it yeah i'm tito i know you you are great you you seriously are my number one like hero right now like i just i love watching your radio journey and like just how much fun you're having on hf um and you know it's it's kind of great the kind of the the background that we have going on you know all the all the stuff that that isn't front and center that you know i'm sure at some point is going to start bleeding through to the front 
as we really get this stuff dialed. Um, but, you know, it was like the other day I sent a message through uh, Vara chat. I sent an email to uh, Tantalu through Wyoming Survival's uh, account, like through his yeah. station, um, just to see if we could, you know. And so it's like it's really fun to start figuring these things out. Um, I still got to I need to get a big antenna up so that I can talk to you all the way over in Florida. But, uh, you know. It's uh, it's gonna. We're kind of in the southern, yeah, southwest corner. Um, I've been getting out there on forty meters at night. Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, I've talked to what I think on my base station. I've gotten consistently out to like the Texas Alabama border. Um, It's kind of where my antenna kind of drops off. But again, that was a few months ago. And, you know, space weather has been crazy these past few weeks. And I think we're, are are we currently in a blackout? I think we're currently in a blackout. Um, Allegedly we're in a blackout, but a couple of dudes, including myself, are doing pretty good today. Yeah. Which is amazing because you're on what? Five Watts. I'm on five Watts and I was hitting the entire, I wasn't getting as West as I usually do, but I was still Uh getting into I was doing JS8 call earlier on 40 meters um, and I was still getting Texas. I was getting central South Florida and I was getting uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, Maryland, uh, like all the way up. I think all the way up to like Vermont, Illinois, uh, all like that whole area. Um, Even today on five watts on 40 meters, which I guess it was a radio blackout, but I was still on JS8 call. I was getting into I think Illinois at a negative four. I mean, and that is one great thing about JS8 is it's super weak signal. Yeah. Um, you know, it runs on the backbone of that, like whatever FT8 protocol is. Yeah. Um, and it's so weak signal that, I mean, you can just have a fraction of a, you know, of a connection, like almost to the point where you can't audibly hear it in the radio and you're still decoding stuff. And uh, I mean, that is one great thing that JS8 is for. Like um, I was like today on 40 meters before I had to go, I was chatting with Wilderness Comms in I think he's in Kentucky, uh, somewhere up there. Um, And I mean, he was getting me at a I was getting him at like a negative like nine, negative 10. He was getting me at a negative 23 and we were still communicating on JS8 call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's scraping you out of the bottom. Yeah, I mean, that's 23 on the SNR, dude. That is, <laughs> that is down there. <laughs> that is, like, I think it goes to 24. And then it's after 24, it's nothing. So yeah. I think, I think you were at the bottom. But yeah, I mean, that is one, you know, and it's, it's hard because like the amateur radio is, is given the HF like digital space so much stuff, but it still lacks in that like some of us still want encryption on it. And like, we would like to have some sort of like, hey, if I want to send like, uh, uh, you know, something to somebody and I don't want anybody else to know what it is, like, I still want to have that ability. And I, I just keep waiting for, you know, it's like how uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, um, FPC, you know, they'll literally look for a person that is like, hey, we want you to go buy a gun so that you will get a lawsuit put against you so that then we can fight that and take it to the Supreme court. And it's like, I really want to do that. I want a constitutional like attorney to take a fourth amendment argument 
with amateur radio, you know, to to argue that, you know, we have a Fourth Amendment right to privacy no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, I don't I don't know why that would be a hard argument to make. Oh, it's um, definitely not. But, you know, it's like, why can't why can't we have a right to privacy in our communications? Your cell phone is encrypted. Yeah, your your Fourth Amendment right doesn't stop at the First Amendment. Yeah. So <laughs> why if we have if we have this, you know, if we have a radio, a super radio in our pocket, you know, and we're able to transmit over the air an encrypted message through this, why is it why is it different? How is it different? for Verizon Wireless to be the carrier and for my traffic to pass through Verizon's stuff than it is for me to be able to transmit on my own equipment, my own personally owned equipment, to another person that has personally owned equipment and we can't have a private conversation. Well, I mean, the answer to that's fairly easy is Verizon, AT&T and all that kind of stuff. All that, even if it's quote secure, um, all that data is still stored somewhere, um, mainly by the uh, NSA and the providers themselves. And that information information can just be subpoenaed at any time. So it doesn't matter how like quote secure it might sound or how secure they say it is. um, That can still be subpoenaed by the state and then used against you. Whereas like, when you're using your own infrastructure, the state actually has to like do some work to like yeah. pick up those transmissions. And then, you know, and then like we were talking about earlier with like the layering, the more layers you can add to um, to, to your communications to make it harder for somebody to uh, one, uh, you know, intercept and then to uh, get any information from. Uh, and then they, they don't like that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, the one that, the one that worries me and I really hope that they appeal the ruling and take it to a higher court is the one, I think it was this week. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was on Monday. Um, the, uh, proud boys, um, verdict that came down, uh, that was ruled on that was basically the jury ruled that they were guilty because of the lack of evidence, because they were all using encrypted, they were all using encrypted communications. And so because they didn't have any of the communications, they were found guilty. So it was like the lack of, because they were, because they were using encryption. Well, obviously you were doing something wrong. And I, I look at that and I go, that is a really dangerous precedent to set. That's a slip. That's, I guess, what they would call a slippery slope right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't. I saw that one and I was like, that is a red flag. That is you're using encryption. So you did something wrong. That that kind of slippery slope. That's a that's a double edged sword. You know, I'm, I'm sure we could do a brainstorming exercise and kind of figure out where the other side of that edge is. Here's one just just shooting from the hip right now. If us using encrypted comms implicates us in a crime, well, the police, law enforcement, FBI, CIA, uh, they DOD, they, they use encrypted comms. So are they implicated in a crime? Or does, doesn't that implicate them in I mean, the crime? answer there is yes. But <laughs> it's actually technically illegal for them to be using encryption. I mean, I'm not arguing that fact. Like, that is... But you get you my know, point. I mean... Oh, yeah. yeah. But again, so... Uh, my father, he was a, uh, MACV SOG in, uh, Vietnam. And I did not know 
what he did in the military up until about 20, I'm going to say, I think that was about 2011 um, when two members from the CIA showed up on our doorstep and were asking for my father at that point because they needed to talk to him about his service in the military. And I was like, after they left, I was like, uh, hey, dad, you got some like I, I have some questions that need answered here. And that's when he finally like opened up and was like, oh, yeah, this is what we were doing. Like, you know, because he had always told us that he was teaching cold weather mountain school in Alaska. And that's what he did in the military. And it was like, oh, OK, yeah, that I mean, that sounds plausible. But By it Alaska, was like, do you mean Cambodia? Exactly. <laughs> exactly what it is. And Mikey will attest to the hardness of that man. Like he seriously was one of the when when God built him, he didn't put quit in. Mike and Mike and I didn't talk for like uh, a 10 year period. And when we first started talking again, I was like, uh, how's your dad? And he was like, Oh, he's doing good. Like we just went out elk hunting last week. And I was like, he's still alive. <laughs> like I was just like, this is the toughest man ever. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, and I say was he passed away in January. Um, and you know, that's been, it's been rough because I think up until this point, this has been the longest that I haven't talked to him. And you know, it's one of those, it's like, the thing that sucks is every day it gets longer. And I know that there's not going to be a point where it's like, oh, I get to talk to my dad again. Um, and so to anybody out there, like if you have a relationship with your dad, like cherish that because like one day he won't be there and you will be like, wait, who do I talk to now? And to anybody out there that is a father, you need to be that for your son. Like because a hundred percent. Like, and daughters, like I would not be half the person I was without that man. And I mean, he was, he was one of a kind and you know, it, it's been, it's been rough. I've had some ups and downs and every once in a while it hits you and it gets like real uncomfortable. Cause like, you just kind of like, where did, who is cutting onions? Like, why is there so much dust in this room right now? Like, like all the feelings just hit at the same time. And so, um, do you hear that ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a prime example of why the family unit is so important. And this is incredibly off topic, but it needs to be said because this is something that's under attack in our country and our society. Family is key. You, you gotta have family. Listen to Mike. He's talking about his dad. He misses him. He loves the guy. He looks up to him. Learned a lot from him. So if if you're listening to this and you're a family guy, you need to go be a family guy. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you need to go make amends with anybody in your family who needs you. Throwing that out there because that that is a topic that I'm passionate about. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I mean, but, first know, off, my condolences. Um, that's sad. I'm sorry you lost your dad and everything. But I like uh like like Civil said, I think that is a huge um problem, and I think a, a lot of our listeners would probably uh you know agree with this and and, and whatnot. Um. But uh, I think a massive problem in society today is the lack of like real like father figures, like like hard men, basically. You know what I mean? Like like guys who who had to I hate to like say it like that, but like pull them up by the pull themselves up by their bootstraps and like get shit done for their families. You, There's you nothing wrong that. with that. Our no, society has, has, has villainized that mindset. 
Yeah, they have. And, and, yeah, and exactly. it shouldn't be that way. There's nothing wrong with learning how to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and toughing it out. As men, we should learn how to shoulder a whole bunch of shit. Shoulder it well and shovel through it. Mikey can attest to this. Like that, like my dad was not only a dad to me, like he was a dad to all my friends that didn't have dads. Like he was that guy. Like, you know, you could just go in and talk to him at any point about like come, what you're doing. Come here, son. Was. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to teach you a lesson right now. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it wouldn't even, it would just be like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Like, how is, you know, how are things? And I mean, he had a mind like a steel trap. He remembered everything. And, you know, so it was one of those, like, you could go to him, be like, hey, dad, so I'm working on my, you know, I'm working on my Chevy and I'm having a problem. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. If you go in there, there's like a bolt that's like right behind the, uh, you know, the the left side engine mount. It's going to be like a 916. You just need to reach in there and take that out. And I mean, it was literally like that type of stuff that he just he just had all this knowledge. And you're just like, how do you remember that? Like, well, why are you driving a Chevy, son? Yeah, I said, you know, that's one of those. I feel like in certain certain circles, it's like, you know, you don't talk about politics, religions or brands of trucks. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those like I always fancied myself a Ford guy. I've owned way more Chevys than I have Fords. <laughs> like I had a Mustang in high school and then I think everything else I've ever owned is a Chevy. And I would kill to have a square body Suburban again. Like in the worst way if i could find like a, like a 94 no like, like a like an 80s like like oh, give me like a, yeah give me like an 85 small block four-wheel drive like throw a three-inch lift on it in 35s and like i will be happy as a clam tons and 40s tons like, and 40s no no shoulder belt on the seat belt it's always belt it, why are you wearing a seat belt like that's that's <laughs> yeah, the real I question uh, like yeah, you know That's mikey's funny. all about That's these awesome. toyotas and i I just don't get it yeah like me too yeah, i'm a toyota the, guy i'm a the toyota that, guy the thing that you have to understand about me though is that i just have one thing that makes me a little bit different than mike and that i like it when my vehicles run so that's that's really <laughs> like got him <laughs> hey my, other than the fact that i can drive the tires off of it my silverado has never left me like it, it, it has been a salt. The LS engine is probably the single greatest technological feat GM has ever brought to the automotive industry. So, and I will, I'm like, you can put that on my headstone. So, yeah, those old Chevy engines are, I mean, there's not many things that compete with those. They are, they're fucking tanks. I mean, <laughs> and I have like, I have an old like 67 Ford, uh, three quarter ton and it has a 426 big block in it. It's a cool truck, but you're like, okay, we're going to go drive the truck. It's going to take me three hours to get it ready, like ready for the road. Like, you know, and then when you're driving it, it's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, let's make it there. <laughs> I've got a buddy uh, back in Utah who's who's a big Duramax guy. Um, he likes those uh, like the older Duramaxes, early 2000s. So he and likes he likes paying money to replace the cylinder heads when the injectors go out. I mean, I don't know. He's got two trucks that are over 500k. So, 
Well, I mean, that's probably only three sets of cylinder heads, so. That's only, yeah, right? I don't know. He, I mean, fuck. I, I used to ride around with him all the time, and that truck was a, that, that truck was a fucking boss. He's he's definitely done a lot of work under the hood, like, you know, some aftermarket stuff. But, uh, I mean, that truck's a boss at, like, 600K miles. <laughs> oh, it's it's funny, because, I like, I'll talk trash on everything. I am an equal opportunity offender. Um, oh yeah me too <laughs> you know it's like i love my ls engines but you know it, it i think that's the only engine that i won't talk trash on uh but you know it's like the duramax yeah okay when your injectors go out at 100k like you're gonna have to do cylinder heads because when you pull the injector out it's gonna strip all the threads out you know if you own a triton uh ford engine you better change your spark plugs every fifty thousand miles because if you don't they're gonna shear off in the block and Fix that. No, they fix that. <laughs> Someone's a Triton owner, I see. <laughs> yeah, I got a Triton. Actually, like, well, my dad had a my dad had an 04 uh, uh F250 with the Triton in it, um, okay. which was pre-spark plug problem. Um yeah. where the where the spark plugs like to break off. Uh but um I actually learned because I ended up doing my own spark plugs on my F150 at 150k miles. Uh, which was the first time the spark plugs got did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Danger and, Will uh, Robinson. Uh, yeah, no, so the, the truck started misfiring and everything, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's probably time to do the spark plugs. Um, so I ended up doing it myself. I did a bunch of research, but Ford fixed that problem in like 08, 09. Uh -huh. um, and my, my spark plugs came out no problem. I can't tell mm -hmm. you how many times when I was a Ford tech that – I mean, it just those you'd see a Triton come in and be like misfire. You're like, oh, so that's how today's going to go. Cool. All yeah. right. No, so I actually I went to two shops that turned me down. Yeah, I know why. Two <laughs> shops turned me down. And, and, and I was like, guys, I was like, I even told them, I was like, you know, Ford fixed the spark plug problem in 08, 09. And they're like, I'm not touching that truck. I'm not doing the spark plugs on that engine. And I was like. I was like, okay, whatever. I, I'll do the damn spark plugs myself. I did it myself. It was no. It took me an hour and a half. It was no problem. <laughs> Shop could have made a quick eight hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm a super masochist for pain, and I uh, I really mess around with a lot of Subarus. And oh, I used to man. so like back in the day, I was like one of the first like stance guys. You know, like the slammed cars, coilovers wheels all sideways like tucked up in the i was one of those guys in a subaru that just i mean straight piped made all the noise um i was one of those guys so um but you know it's like yeah okay go change the spark plugs on a dual overhead cam uh subaru they're literally in the middle of the cylinder head and the frame rail is about two and a half three inches from like where the hole is and it like it literally it'll make a man out of you like trying to get all those out. Engines? I mean, some people do. If you have I've two, heard, I've heard people just pull the engines to do the plugs on those fuckers. If you do a wobble socket, and then you do a, I think it's a three inch extension, and then you do a universal joint, and then you do about a six inch extension, you got it made in the shade. You're good. Like it'll go right in. You can get that <laughs> broke loose. You can pull them out. Um, that's my wife's. She has the uh, the six cylinder in her outback and i actually need to do those and i'm not looking forward to it see that's, I keep that's on why it off. that's why you gotta go with toyota man everything in a toyota hey. can be fixed with like three tools 
If I had the money for a 2J, I would have a 2J in something. The problem is, is I don't have the money for a 2J. And so, you know, it's it's that that's where I'm at is not uh, only can everything in a Toyota be fixed with like three tools, but one of the tools is zip ties. So that's like that's the best part. Yes. I forget who I forget who sent it to me, but somebody had made a belt out of zip ties like to run to the alternator. And I was like, yep, I've been there. (laughs) That's awesome. I I finally got into the Tundra world. I had uh, my my first Toyota was a 99 uh, Tacoma. It was the pre-runner, but it was only two wheel drive. And I drove that thing for a few years and then I sold it and got a 2001 Tacoma four wheel drive. Same body style. It's that same. Is it the three, four? I forget. It's the same motor. They they used it from like 95 to like 04, and it was in the RAV4. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the 3.4 liter. And then, so I, I finally, I got a Gen, I did a lot of homework. I, I did, I got a Gen 1 Tundra. The gas mileage isn't great on them, but there's so much room in the hood. So much. <laughs> and And like, if I wanted to, I could pull the whole valve cover off, like, just like that. Isn't it nice? It's nice working on stuff that is like, to me, the sweet spot is like, say, 2000 to about 2008 on like vehicles. That is like the sweet spot where it was like, I have really good fuel injection, but I don't have tire pressure, like mandated tire pressure monitoring systems. Because like, again, like, I don't like the government telling me, hey, you need to put this $80 sensor in each one of your tires. And like when you go to do that, like it's gonna cost me three hundred dollars just for sensors in my tires. Like no, I'm, yeah. No. So the the first gen Tundras have a TPMS sensor, and they built an override switch into the Tundra. So all you do is is pop the housing off the uh, steering wheel cover, and there's a little switch in there, and you can bypass it like that. Like they they engineered it. It's just like doing your Mars mod on a bunch of these Yaesu radios. It's like, oh, Dude, I, you, you want to turn this off? Here, we're going to enge- engineer a way for you to turn this off like that. It's I like, love that. Hey. <laughs> so it's, wait, what's the Mars mod on the G90? You take the cover off. There's four screws. The top plate comes off. And there's, on the board, there's uh, the diodes right there. And there's a big white arrow pointing to the diode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, and you it's just like, pop that thing off. <laughs> Yeah, so you if if you you can I mean you can use a pair of needle nose pliers and get it on there and just twist, which uh-huh. is kind of kind of sketchy because you could damage any some of the other circuits around it, yeah. or you know you get in there with a soldering and a fine tip and just you know lift it off with an exacto knife or something. I just cowboyed that shit and got in there with you my needle scratch. nose and I was just like, got it. I mean that's the video I watched. The dude just literally grabbed it with like a pair of tweezers and he just like pink and like pulls it right off the like they barely put it on there so when i so, had my uh when i was in the yesu radios uh first i had the vx8 er that's uh, a good one it is a good radio that's that, a good it's radio true, it's a true what quad band radio and th- those are gone uh yep. it had it had its problems and i'm not gonna get on that rabbit trail right now but I did do the Mars mod on it, and they gave you a little rubber plug on the magnesium housing. Yep. You pull that plug, and that diode is the only thing that you can see, and that's the, the only, only thing. thing you got to remove. And so then I got the uh, FT3, and uh-huh. uh, same thing. You pull the rubber plug, and it's right there. There's your diode. Well, 
the Zygu did the same thing with the G90. It's like, hey, hey, right here, big sign. Here's the diode that you want to remove. It's right. You can't miss it. It's right here. <laughs> I know. But I the difference, up. the difference between Yesu and the Zygu doing the Mars mod. So with Yesu, you have to go do a factory reset, right? Uh-huh. At least on a lot of the models you do. On the VX8, I had to. On the FT3, I had to. On the Zygu, you just pop that shit off and turn the radio back on and you're good to go. You're in business. You don't need to do a reset <laughs> or anything. Well, like, or you could be like Mikey. So he, I think, how many radios have you taken to Rob now and they've all been Mars modded? Yeah, so I bought a radio new through... Um, uh, or an open box radio from ham radio outlet. And they had it as not, uh, Mars modded. And so I took it to him to have him Mars mod it. And, uh, he was like, yeah, this is already Mars modded. And I was like, well, I, it's not, I couldn't get it to, to, to transmit. And then he did like a cycle, like a power cycle and it fixed the issue. And I just felt like the biggest dumb idiot in the world, uh, cause it was already Mars modded. So then, um, and this one's partially on Mike. So then I, uh, I was having a problem with my 4100A and uh, I was trying to get out on repeaters and it was like no nothing was working. And uh, it just I thought that I had fried the finals by like uh, overloading it or, or something like that. And then I took it to him and I just hadn't programmed the tones in correctly, like for the software that I used on my last image. So he's like, hey, you just don't have any tones plugged in. I was like, sick, I'm going to hang up my hat as a radio educator now because I don't deserve this. So, <laughs> yeah, I uh, so we have we have a local guy and he is he is amazing. He is like he is 100 percent our people, um, but he is super into microwave and like up. So like he his like his HF is like six meter, like six meter single sideband. He's like, oh, yeah, you know. It's it's fun. I can make DX contacts on that. But he like he just bought two 905s, uh, IC 905s. So that's that new. I think it does 270. Uh, I think it does 1.2, 2.4, 5.8 and 10 gigahertz. And it does, has, it does 10 gigahertz. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Dude, yeah. I just saw the other like yesterday. I'm on PSK Reporter looking at FTA or no, I was looking at like uh, stations monitoring and reporting for, for JS8. And there's somebody reporting JS8 call on 10 gigahertz in Greece. I was I, like, what the fuck? But yeah, so he bought two of these and he like, he's been outfitting all the panels because uh, our, our ham club is going to do what they're calling a potapalooza. So like pota parks on the air. So take all your shit into the field, set it up at a park, and then make contacts. Scavenger um, hunt. Yep. Yeah, scavenger hunt. And so he bought two 905s so that people could operate and get contacts on those bands. Dude spent I, I think a 905 with all the goodies is like five, six thousand dollars. Holy and he shit. bought two of them just so that other people could play with them. I wanna play with it. Yeah, that's I mean, what, you know, that's what uh, Wyoming Survival does. If he buys a radio, he's buying two of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we always say radio is more fun with friends. One is none, two is one, three is many. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah, that is what Wyoming Survival does. I mean, he bought two 5100 fires, like 51 fire ES radios. Um, he, he just buys two of everything <laughs> when he buys them. 
again, why not? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's only money. You can't take it with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I should have bought two HF rigs, but I mean, I just I bought like my one uh, true SDX. Oh, don't and, worry. You'll get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I will. I'll, I'll definitely be upgrading eventually. To, to every, every once in a while, another one just follows you home. I yeah. think the most I ever had at one time, I think, was six. Um, I had a what a 746 Pro, uh, 891, 706, 706 Mark II G, uh, my 705, and then uh, QDX. Damn. And it was one of those where it was like you know, because again, I like to buy them, like figure out how they work, how everything works in them, so that when somebody asks me and they're like, hey. Uh, how do I do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, oh, so you got like the Yesu, the 891. It's terrible. You hold down. You got to go into the deep F menu to get to the, <laughs> you know, transmit power for, uh, you know, for your HF single sideband data mode. You got to go to like 74, 75, you know, and they're just like, again, are you looking at a manual right now? And I'm like, no, it's from memory. That is one of the advantages, I would say, of ham equipment over commercial equipment that I've experienced so far. And it, and it could just be that I'm not far enough on my journey or I'm not good enough at it yet. But, man, everything is so face programmable and settings are so, like, accessible with ham radio and with commercial radio. That is just not the case. No. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think it's I think it comes back to that thing that, you know, it's like especially in the military, you have I think what's this dis- statistic you got six or seven guys for every like one person you know you have six support guys that's doing stuff to make sure that that guy you know so it's like no it's like 25 it's like every every one guy in the field is 25 guys in logistics yeah so it's like you have three radio guys that can figure out how that stuff works you know so it's just like you give the radio to the monkey in the field and say here you know when you want to talk to somebody push these buttons and, and that's yeah, why, you know, on these LMR radios, you have your, your knob on top and yep. it's got one through 16 is, is pretty much what it is on. on yeah, you turn the radio, here's your volume, and then you're going to turn this knob to, oh, here's channel five right here. Okay, and that's all you got to know. That's it. You don't have to exactly. do anything else. Like, here's yeah. your radio. And, and it's like, okay, okay. For, for the average civilian... Like you are your own tech support. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we get the we get the thing all the time. Oh yeah, when stuff goes down, we're just gonna go I'm to just the gonna call you. I'm yeah. just gonna call you. I'm just gonna call you on yeah. cell phones. that don't work anymore. Yeah, you know, and it's like, no, you're not. Like, I'm gonna probably be already out of wherever it is because I lo- I read the tea leaves and I was like, we're getting out of here. I. Uh, now. I've been responding. No, yeah, yeah. You should absolutely call me on your Baofeng. Um, that way, I can direction find you, or someone else can direction find you, and I can know where to get more ammo. Yeah, <laughs> because that's a, that's the reoccurring theme too. Is that um, it's always like you always, and I don't have to tell. I'm not. I'm not surprising anyone with this information here. But as a comms guy, as a support guy, um, it's always the dudes that have full kit nods. Uh, you know, a couple Gucci rifles and a couple pallets of ammo that are like, I'm really, 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 really well prepared for if shit goes down. And I'm like, uh, what's your comm situation? And they're like, I got a Baofeng, you know, <laughs> that I'm like, what's your food and water situation? They're like, I got I got some bottled water. 
You know, I'm like, what's your, what's your mobility plan? How are you getting energy? Like what, where's your, what's your warmth plan? Like, have you outlined your pace exercise with like your loved ones and your wife? Like, are your neighbors set up with comms to talk to you? And they're like, I have this really cool gun. Like <laughs> I have this really cool gun and I'm like, I'm ready. <laughs> that is the reoccurring theme uh, throughout the, throughout the, like the community for a lot of that stuff is everyone wants to be the, I think it's changing. We're, we're seeing it change to people actually gearing towards like more of the, the prepping and being prepared for more than like door kicking basically. I mean, that was like the huge thing for the last several years is everyone just wants to be the door kicker. They're not worried about food. They're not worried about water, electricity. <laughs> they, they're they just going to kick in doors and they're going to go, they're going to go raid. On that note, little story, uh, resilient civilian posted a guy that, that talked about this and uh, I reposted it saying that this is immoral. And we actually had a guy local uh, in one of our groups that, that talked like this. So my, my rule, my personal rule, and I recommend this for everybody, and it doesn't necessarily need to be where, what my rule is, but a thousand rounds of whatever caliber I'm using. So I use nine millimeter and five, five, six, but whatever it is for you, you should have like a minimum stockpile. And then this isn't to say that you're going to anticipate a gunfight or need to use your weapon, but it doesn't, and it doesn't necessarily matter if it's ammo or food you know you should have a, a a food storage that is you know at x number of pounds or days worth of food or months worth of food same with water same with medical same with fuel same with batteries you know you name it fill in the blank so i ran into a guy here uh we were gonna go to the range and uh, he's like oh i gotta go to academy i gotta get some ammo i don't have any ammo i was like what do you mean you don't have any ammo he's like i don't have any ammo i was like you train with us regularly you don't have any ammo he's like no and i was like and oh, like i would work. be like do you don't have any ammo to spare right like you're down yeah, to well, like you're, no, yeah, you're down to yeah, your bottom zero. limit you gotta go get yeah. <laughs> and you're just like oh you have zero he's zero he's got no mags <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so like my, my response was like like well okay just just break into your reserves and, and replenish it he's like i don't have reserves and it, it's like okay well that's that's flawed thinking right there and so so my my minimum round count is a thousand rounds per caliber so if when, when i hit a thousand rounds i have zero round right yeah if if i have I two thousand rounds i have one thousand rounds and that way, you know, when, when I'm getting down to a, a thousand rounds, I have a can marked a thousand nine and a thousand five, five, six. And it's like, all right, cool. All right, I'm down to my last thousand. It's time for me to go hit up PSA or scour the internet for an ammo deal. You, oh, wait, no, you're not on the East Coast. I was going to say, you live close enough that you can walk to PSA. I've never been there before, but I've heard cool things. No, I'm close to Brownells. So, oh. yeah, Brownells. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, okay. So I said the same thing to him about food that this conversation quickly led to food and water. Um, so I was like, well, well, what are you going to do if there's a situation, you know, and this was pre 2020, but and 2020 was a great example, the toilet paper crisis, you know, whatever. <laughs> the great toilet paper <laughs> crisis we're, we're team, team bidets up in this bitch. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Smart move. But, uh, it, it's like, okay. So, what are you going to do if there's a tornado or down here, we do get hurricanes that hit inland and could potentially knock out power in DFW. And then the whole distribution grid is down. What are you going to do? He's like, oh, I'm just going to go take it from my neighbors. It was like, you are the exact type of person that we are preparing to defend ourselves against. It's like, that is the it's wrong mentality. 
<laughs> so and- so here's the here's the the me kicking in. And this is the type of me. So, you know, you say it, you're like, I have a, you know, my bottom limit is a thousand. If I have a thousand, I'm out of ammo. I'm like, if I don't have 10,000 primers, (laughs) I am out of primers. And (laughs) let me tell you what, we've been in a real primer shortage. And like, I am down to like probably 5,000 large rifle. And like, I'm getting sweaty because I'm like, I need to find some, you know, and (laughs) like, because that's like, if I don't, You know, it's like I want to have 250 pounds of lead, 10,000 primers on hand and probably what I mean. So do you remember that the video of the explosion in Beirut when that like warehouse disintegrated? Yeah, that's what it's going to look like if my house catches. You mean those like 40 city blocks that disintegrated? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I told my wife, if our house catches on fire, get out and keep running. Because when that thing goes off, when it hits all that, like when it hits powder and primers and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be a fireworks show. Oh, yeah. Um, Like I still haven't figured out a safe way to store like 30,000 primers and, you know, what, probably 60, 70 pounds of gunpowder. Still haven't figured that one out, like how to like store that kind of stuff. You bury it in the fucking ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to do like 10 pound caches like vacuum seal that shit three times and go bury some in your backyard I, I, your front yard i can tell you what not to do don't store it on top of large amounts or underneath large amounts of fertilizer um and <laughs> don't don't compress it and pressurize it a lot um and don't put your nails and ball bearings on top of it that's definitely yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so <laughs> Uh, dear Mr. Special Agent who's listening to this episode, this is only... Uh, for legal reasons. <laughs> we got jokes. Yeah, yeah, we got jokes for days. But yeah, no, seriously, I mean, that's where, like, you know, like, because again, that's how my brain works, is I was like, oh, well, I can have all the ammo in the world. Like, I can have right, 3,000 rounds. And, but and I'm going, like, that- okay, so when the, when the ammo runs out, how do I get more ammo? Then I'm like, oh shit, I need a press and I need to get into reloading. And so then it's like, okay, so I can store all the jacketed bullets that I possibly can store. But like if I need a couple different, you know, so if I need nine and I need, you know, 30 cal, well, I could just cast it. Like I can just get lead. And so I can just store 250 pounds of lead and just cast it into whatever I need at that time and just manufacture what I need. And that's literally how my brain works. Like I go down like a, I Being go down friend is awesome. It's really fun. Uh, <laughs> you go to his house and you're just like, you're just like, is that a vintage lumberjack saw? He's like, yeah, I got five of them from this auction. And I'm like, that's cool. Why do you need that? And he's like, Oh, you don't want to be cut without a saw. Do you? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> do, do, okay. Let me ask you this. Do, do you have, do you have a mill, a wood mill? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Uh, so I have a uh, mill. This dude's ready. I'm coming to Idaho. Yeah. So have I have a, hand, a, you have a hand powered drill press, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I have a yeah. hand crank drill press that like is for metal. Like it's like a blacksmithing. Um, I think the date on it's probably about 1890s vintage. Um, it's a, I think it's an Acme out of New York. Um, it's called what they call a post drill. 
So essentially what it is, is you turn the handle and as you turn the handle, there's a big flywheel, you know, to give you inertia. And it has a eccentric cam lobe um, that pushes a lever that turns a like a, a pawl, a wheel on top that advances the spindle down into the metal. So like you can literally drill through metal, just I mean, just crank the handle and it'll just right through. And again, it was one of those where I was like, well, man, if I need to put holes in metal, like after the power goes out, how do I do that? And so like I go down these rabbit holes and I'm just like, huh, post drill. And so, so then I get on Facebook and I'm just like looking through Facebook. And I'm like, oh, hey, look at that. I can buy a post drill. And sure enough, like, hey, look at that. Like I own a post drill. I actually own two of them. <laughs> so if, what, what were you thinking during the beginning of COVID shutdown? Were you having like anxiety oh, crisis or were you no, like, having I was, like a field day of I need to get this and I need to get how, how do you make I, toilet paper? I'm going to make I'm going to buy a toilet paper press. Uh, well, it was more, I have a bidet, like we got a bidet. Cause I was like, like, you know, think about like, you know, paper towels, like you're like wiping up a mess with paper towels. Like, no, like you did like, just spray water on it. Like, you're just going to like get a pressure washer, like done. Like that's all you need. So I did. like big daddy style. You just spill some milk in the kitchen, just put some newspaper on it. Yeah. Just take care of it. <laughs> But yeah, no, like seriously, like when COVID first kicked off and it was like, oh, no, it's shutting the state's shutting down. Everything's going to like I just looked at I looked at my wife and I was like, are you ready? <laughs> like she's like, you're way too excited about this. And I was like, seriously, like I'm just like I'm waiting for like societal collapse so I can be like the one guy on the block that's looking at everybody going like fucking told you so. Like you, you should have been prepared. Like, do you need any furniture? Because I have all the tools to build it. There you go. <laughs> so, so and, and that goes back to the conversation I was having a few minutes ago. Of, uh, Resilient Civilian had a guy comment on a couple of his posts. And like, why do I need digital radio? And, and it, it kind of turned into the conversation of, well, you need, to, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for anything, you know, anything and everything. And his response was, well, if something happens, I'm just going to clap the guy that's nearest to me and take his radio. Red flag right there. That's that's exactly what we a need. Massive to. red flag. Yeah, that's that's, that's not what you know, everybody. I think everybody get, has this like wet dream of like Mad Max. And it's like, listen, we don't we don't want to live in Mad Max. And furthermore, you know, I think a lot of people have like a weird, you know, whatever, whatever is going, you know, whatever situation people think is going to happen you know it, it's not going to be that like it's like i'm thinking more the troubles in ireland than anything else you know like that's kind of you know if we get into some sort of a civil conflict inside of the united states like i view something more of like the troubles in ireland in like the 70s and 80s than i do yeah, here's, here's how it's going to go people are going to continue going to work and they're going to continue yeah. going to school and they're going to continue partying at the club and they're going to continue doing drugs and eating, eating food gluttonously. And meanwhile, there's going to be violence in the streets occasionally and there's going to be pockets of violence. 
And there's going to be resistance here, and there's going to be resistance there. But it's going to be life as usual while this stuff is going on. Exactly. It's, 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 it's not going to be widespread Mad Max. It's just not going to happen. I mean, um, unless unless the sun decides to throw a giant flare at us, and we have a Carrington event, and like things go really sideways. And then I think, you know, I think, honestly, if it was one of those where there was like, say, uh, a state actor decided to, you know, drop an EMP, you know, and shut off major networks and stuff like that to a portion of the country, that's going to like, that's more, I think, what people are, what you should really be worried about um, or natural disaster. You know, I, I think being prepared for natural disaster is more likely than anything else. And like I said, you know, I, I'm a prepper in one of the least states affected by natural disaster. It's kind of one of those where it's like, yeah, we got a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know what to do with it, but yeah, you know, I think it would be um, like what, you know, civil is talking about with society and everything. I think it would look like what civil is saying, at least for the first little bit, but you're going to get to that point where like dominoes are going to start falling the supply chain will 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 collapse. Things like that will happen. And then at that point, it's only going to take your neighbors down the road from you that you might like loosely know, you know, maybe 48, 72 hours before they're like, oh, OK, well, that guy over there's got food. We could probably go kill him and take it. And the really uh, scary part is the dude that has food is the dude that you don't want to mess with because he's already planned for the he's already thought about this and so it's one of those like i like seriously people say like people have asked me before oh so you have solar and you have battery backup so the power goes out and all of a sudden you have the one house on the block that has power isn't that sending like a major red flag that people are gonna like come to your house and i was like well hopefully they come in peace because if they don't that's not the house you want to go knocking on the door of because that dude has already thought down this road. And if you if you think that he has power, but he doesn't have a way to defend his power, you are going to be sadly mistaken. And if he has to defend his power and his house ends up in a fire, and you're not going to have power and he's not going to have power yeah. because his black powder is going to blow up the entire block. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then I got I, this really cool thing that lets me see in the dark. And you can't do that. <laughs> also, I got these really cool radios that I can talk to the people I actually trust. When the trees start talking, it's already too late. You know, one thing that I always think of on this topic is like, you know, because we one of our mission statements is that we want to be good stewards to the preparedness community. Um, but even jumping to a natural disaster is still taking it to an extreme, right? Like being prepared comes in so many other smaller flavors, like being prepared on a camping trip, being prepared on a road trip, being prepared in a city that you've never been in and making sure that you have a backup map in case, you know, your electronic signals aren't working for whatever reason. It could be your cellular network didn't hand off or, or, or anything like that. And so it, it's funny because we always, always, always talk about things in like the most extremes. Like Mike's like, I'm going to run out of primers. Like I got to make my own bullet factory and stuff like that. But, but, I, I would almost say that communication is so fundamental to 
all of the aspects of life that are important. Like communication is a big part of conflict resolution. Communication is a big part of having a healthy relationship with your significant other. Communication is is paramount to, to raising good and strong children, right? And so I look at radio as an exercise, not only in the technology around radio, but also what good communication looks like and giving yourself more opportunities to practice that communication, whether it's in a, a fire team, whether it's in uh, a, you know your, your off-roading community, whether it's with your everyday family like to me that is a lot more important um in in preparing for things because you know the best offense is a good defense right the best way to prepare for something is to um take small steps every single day so that it never gets it never gets to the point where you need to be prepared for it and then when it does you know be ready but yeah, I, I think about that a lot when we have as we have these conversations, because I've been down that rabbit hole, too. Like, I love to think about, like, oh, how could I deploy this emergency repeater? And like, we need to practice this net and see how far we can get over the valley. But realistically, like, I should probably be focusing on making sure that I have open communication um, with my neighbors so that they never have to see me as a loot drop. Right. My neighbors should see me as a friend and, and see me as a safe, a safe place where they can come and know that not only is the power on, but, you know, I, I'm going to share food and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help set you up for success as well. And, and you lay down that foundation and those building blocks way before or you should be thinking about those foundations and those building blocks before it gets to the point where you're having the conversation about, like, whose house are we going to go raid, you know, and do I need to prepare my house to be, be raided against? Like there, there's ways to take preemptive steps against that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good point he makes and community is everything. And there's, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, discussion about that within just like the, the Instagram, like second amendment community, like the, and people like gearing towards like more or like higher levels of preparedness rather than just like shooting on the flat range and stuff. Um, it, it all comes down to community, knowing your neighbors and with community comes communications like we were just talking about. You, you, it would be really nice to be able to like talk to your neighbor um, during like a set time uh, without having to like leave your house. If this if the power grid's down or like cell, you know, cell service is down, and you guys can just turn on some radios and um, you can talk to everyone on your block like no problem and have like, a you know, a community wide net basically like uh, like you were just uh, mentioning um, and if you could, if you could scale that up to even like the whole Valley, well, I mean, more power to you. That's just awesome. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, that, that is really what it comes down to is, is building community and, and knowing your neighbors and, and everything like that. And having a, having a team, because if it does come down to that, um, the, the men in, in the community should be, uh, just like, I believe, uh, all men should be capable of, uh, um what's it like jordan peterson jordan peterson and a lot of the other guys say uh you know it's better to be a gardener or a warrior in a garden a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war um and all men should be capable of immense levels of violence but it, it's a testament to to your manhood to be able to control that violence um and and not only to be capable of it but be efficient and, and skillful in the execution of that violence if need be Right. Taking it back to a biblical reference, Nehemiah, when he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem after uh, Israel returned from exile in Babylon, they rebuilt the walls with a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand. You know, that, that's a good uh, analogy for, for what we should be doing with our community. You know, we, sh we should be doing something to uh, build up and fortify our community while being ready and willing and able to defend it at the same time.
And uh, this is kind of an unpopular thing to think about. Mrs. Jones down the street, who's a widow and 80 years old, you know, you need, you, you probably should establish communication with her and train her how to communicate with you as well. In case something like the shutdown that happened in 2020, if that got any worse than it did, you know, you, you need to be able to take care of the weaker vessels around you, you know, and in doing so, you're going to win favor with the community and you're going to become a force to reckon with that way. It's a very passive I don't want to say path to dominance, but, you know, you, you want to be something in your community that your community is going to need and your community is going to look up to you and uh, respect. Just being a pure, blunt force ain't it. It's glorified, but that ain't it. That's not the end all be all. Yeah, I don't I don't know how many men like I, I'm a. I, I had to go to, I had to go to some therapy at a really young age and I, I have mixed feelings about therapy. Like I don't, I don't really enjoy the therapy culture that we live in. But one thing that it did teach me is it taught me how to communicate. It taught me how to like look at my feelings and then like think logically, like what I'm going to do about it. Right. What's in my circle of control? What's not in my circle of control. And, and I can't tell you like how many of my friends um, as I've seen them grow up and become adults, uh, especially men, are just not prepared to do those things, right? They 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 think that war is just uh, you know lobbing ammunition at each other, and they don't realize that there's a war inside all of us that we have to that we have to win before we can go out and like externalize it. And a lot of different authors have said that in a lot of different ways. Um, this is going to be a really weird transition, but this is why I think the Baofeng is such an important radio in our community, is because. Um, it's so divisive, right? We have so many like comms people that will point out all of the flaws of the radio and why it fucking sucks and why you shouldn't bet your life on it and why, you know, this or that or this or that, but it's $20. You can hand it to someone who's never had any sort of comms experience and they feel like you're handing them like something straight out of an action movie when they look at it. Right. And like one of, uh, one of our newest friends that just got his technician license, that's just like starting with radio. I intentionally bought him a Baofeng. And when I bought it for him, I handed it to him and he was like, so this is a pretty good radio. And I said, no, it's not at all, but it's a radio and it's, and it's going to get you on the air and in using this thing and all the frustration that it's going to bring you for like, when you're trying to, you know, talk to us in your truck while we're off-roading when we're out camping and stuff like that, what it's going to do is it's going to help you realize what's important in a radio and, and make it so that the next radio that you buy for yourself is something that fits your needs and your goals and your objectives. Right. And, and so um, to tie it all back, that's, I always think of like, that when I when I get into those conversations with people and when I see people start to shit on like different types of gear and stuff like that, because I would rather have a thousand willing radio participants show up to an event with Baofengs than seven folks with like HF rigs that are going to be like snobs about it. Um, because the more people that you can get initiated into the community, like it's just a matter of time before they start figuring out what the right tools for the trade are and the right tools for the job. Just like everyone took that same journey with firearms, with chess care, with, with, with chess rigs, with vehicles and stuff like that. I mean, I didn't come out the gate driving a Toyota truck. Like my first vehicle was a 83 Honda civic wagon and it, fucking sucked it fell apart and it was noisy and it was clunky and it would get stuck everywhere and uh and i loved it but i was so glad when i got a vehicle that was like reliable and dependable and had some like modern features to it 
And uh, I think we should be doing the same thing in our community as being good stewards, being healthy communicators and letting people know that there's upfalls or upsides and downsides to all of the equipment. But as long as you're getting out and you're using it and you're passionate about it, then eventually you'll figure it out. You know, yeah. that's the same way I feel about people who have Glocks. <laughs> Is it? That's a joke. That's a joke. Oof, but, man, that is just a shot across the back. Says the guy who has like seven Glock. I used to have a lot more than that, but <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so anyway, it was it's actually uh you know funny you uh you bring up that point. Today I was listening to I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the uh the uncensored tactical podcast with Pat Watson. Mm-hmm. No? No, uh, super, good um, super good podcast. You should check out Uncensored Tactical um, podcast with Pat Watson. Very good. I listen to it uh, pretty regularly. Um, but he his most recent episode, I think, is like tactical economics. And uh, his partner, um, Dave, I believe, is actually like he's into radios. He he does radio, two way communications, all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, they actually brought up like, you know, the Baofeng radio as part of like the, the tactical like economics. Um you know they made they made some like really good points similar to what um uh Mikey was just uh talking about there with um and you know the way you like quantify it is is just like you know and just like Dave said in the podcast no the Baofeng's not a good radio it's a radio and it does what it is advertised to do um and and it's just like you know the way he put it uh, is just like it's kind of hard to like quantify it to take somebody from no radio to a Baofeng is like a is a really big step in it from from nothing to having like a dual band radio capable of, you know, five or I guess even some of the models will do like quote eight, like quote eight watts. Now I have one like the triple power. So it'll go up to like eight watts. But I, I don't think I've seen one test where the radio actually pushes eight watts. <laughs> but um it, that's that's besides the point it that's that's a big step right there um for people from going from zero to actually having something that will talk to other people and, and we'll start teaching them how to use a radio they should you they should learn how to program it at least at the very least from the front panel if they don't want to get a programming cable and use like chirp and that kind of stuff um but then like from the Baofeng as you step up and, and you start going from like a 30 dollar radio to and, and you you very quickly go from like, OK, like the Baofeng's like thirty dollars. Well, now I want something with digital with encryption. You're looking at depending on the route you go, you're looking at two hundred to four hundred dollars. So it's a pretty big jump from the Baofeng to get to something more capable. And then every jump up is like it, it, nothing is as much as that first jump from from zero to Baofeng is like the biggest leap you can make and then everything after that gets like smaller and smaller and smaller as like the price goes like exponentially higher as you get up to like dual band encrypted like digital radios or all band encrypted digital radios you're looking at several thousands of dollars to add what is relatively a marginal increase in in abilities and performance and that can just that can, that scales across so many aspects of this this industry and everything. But I thought that was uh, very interesting, like what you were saying, because the Baofeng is a radio that does what it's supposed to do, and it's just like I said, it's not a it's not a quote it's not a good radio, but it is a tool that can be used by people um, to hopefully get into it and and further their abilities. And uh, like I said, it's 
it's better than nothing. It's certainly better than not having anything at all. You know, it's, you know, what's funny about that too, though, is that like, I've heard a similar comparison. I have a buddy that rides mountain, but we have a buddy that rides mountain bikes and, uh, or he used to at least a lot. And, you know, I was buying a, a mountain bike or a cyclocross bike. I forget, uh, at some point and I like consulted him about it and I showed him this bike and he like kind of laughed at me and he's like, no, you want to buy this one. And he, he sent me a much cheaper, like much shittier bicycle. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, why? And he goes, because you don't, he's like, you don't know how you ride and you don't know what you like. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, do you need a dropper post? Like, are you going to be climbing up hills? Or are you just going to be bombing them? Like, are you going to be going on like flat land? Because it's just going to like drop you down. He's like, do you need disc brakes? Like, are you going to be riding a lot of gravel and dirt? Or are you mostly going to be riding this in the park and on the road? You know, like all of those things are different factors that, that he was like, I know the answers to those questions for me. He's like, but you don't know those questions to you. He's like, so start with something shitty. And then either sell that and go buy the thing that you want after you've put some experience and some miles on it. He's like, or upgrade it, you know, and maybe, maybe you'll find that your riding style actually works really great with this minimalistic bike. And all you'll need to do is buy a couple different things to like increase the comfort or the quality of life for you. And then you have the perfect thing. And then you've saved yourself some money down the road. And, uh, I try to apply that to everything now because like I think about it and I, I think I fall into the same trap as everyone else does. But like because I drive a pretty nice truck that I've set up for off roading that I've spent a lot of time on. But then like we'll go out and we'll see Gambler 500 dudes just hucking it in like minivans and like Caprice Classics. You know, I saw a <laughs> Prius on a forest access road one time and I was embarrassed because I was in four four high on this forest access road and there's a Prius just like wheeling along. And then, you know, every once in a while you get this reality check where you're like, Oh, I actually don't need all that stuff. Right. Like encryption is going to be nice to have when stuff hits the fan and, and, and I don't want anyone to find me and definitely go down that road and learn about it and play with it. But for like every day, like day to day stuff, you probably don't need all the things that you think you do. You probably should just be training and practicing and learning more than you should be consuming and buying and getting all this stuff just in case if you're never going to learn how to use it. Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see, too, because um, we if you spend enough time, especially on like Instagram and stuff and, and you look at what's going on is you you see like all of the different realms and, and the different extremes on on one extreme. Uh, we see, which is kind of like what, like I poke, uh, I poke fun at, and like I think civil and resilient. We 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 like to poke fun at the guys who are running, um, you know, like four thousand dollar ARs. They've got binos. They've got a five thousand dollar plate carrier set up, and they're running a Baofeng. And there's literally no. Well, one, they're running a Baofeng, and it's never even been programmed. They don't even know how to program it. They've never plugged it into Chirp. They don't know how to change the power. They don't know what a CTCSS tone is. They couldn't program a repeater in. If you put the the information in front of them for the repeater, they wouldn't know how to put it into the radio and make it work. And then we see the other extreme of that, where I'm not going to name anybody, but we see uh the the gucci groups who will buy the uh the four mp5us and uh they don't know the first thing about using them and they don't even know what they do or what they are they just throw them on their plate carriers because they're ten thousand dollars and they look fucking cool <laughs> you know that's that's, so, that's me yeah. by the way so well i don't know the difference is is i know how to use it but 
I don't have anybody else that's willing to spend $10,000 on one. And so then I'm just like the dude that has it. I'm like, oh, yeah, as soon as you get one. As soon as I get one, this would be super fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and I quote, when we got the XTS 5000s, I was like, Mike, what are we going to do with these radios? And he goes, (laughs) flex on the pores. (laughs) (laughs) On the pores. It's like a $300 radio. (laughs) The thing about it is, though, is that it, it, I mean, it looks like it's a way more expensive radio. You know, and it has the, it has the mysticism. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a totally okay radio. I'm holding one in my hand. Somebody who uses one and somebody who knows at least a little bit about communications. This is a totally okay radio, you know? (laughs) So I will say, I will give this to that. I will give it to the XTS. Don't even shove that APX in my face because like, seriously, I'm trying to work out a deal right now on a on a uh what would be a two meter um you know a vhf uh quantar repeater because uh i have about uh, 14 acres and uh i'm gonna put up a probably between 100 and 140 foot tower um so that we can have our own repeater system for the valley but i want to you know now that it's like i have a xts i might as well get a p25 repeater and put up a p25 repeater um there was some quantars going on ebay for not too much money recently so here's the problem i have idaho especially like the treasure valley area we are we have used i think there's only one repeater pair left and the repeater pair is a low uh what would be i think it's like the r1 module and so i need like an r1 receive module but i can have an r2 transmit module um because it's i think it's a i want to say it's like a 145 frequency um and so it has to be it can't the like the the vhf high can't go low enough to hit that you know basically it stops at 150 so i have to find one that is made to run like 136 to 150 and that's the problem I'm running into is um, there's a guy on eBay that has a bunch of Quantar stuff and he's trying to get me the correct modules so that I can put together like 125 watt uh, Quantar to put on the one repeater pair that's left available in the valley. Uh, you, heard it here. you heard it here, folks. If you have that uh, repeater pair. Reach out to yeah. hardcore comms. <laughs> yeah, if you have a like if you have a VHF like a 136 to 150 Quantar repeater, get at me because I want to get my hands on it. Um, people are gonna be like, what did you do on Civil Sentinels podcast? Uh, we just use it as Facebook Marketplace, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked into the Quantars that much. So the, the Quantars don't cover the coverage of like the VHF radios because the VHF radios are 136 to 174. It's not the whole spectrum. It actually splits. Ah. So they have a they have a 136 to 150 and then a 150 to 174. Ah. Um, and it's and hard it, to find the low. It's hard end. to find the low one because what, most 136 safety, to, exactly. Yeah, most public like safety is in the upper end of the VHF. Yeah, so and it's I think really the only people that use that upper military and federal stuff is in the bottom is in is in like the 130s and 
they honestly most of that uh, most of the federal stuff uh, goes to get just to, they just destroy it. They don't they don't uh, throw it out. A lot of the police, sheriff's agencies, stuff like that. They they take it and they they auction it off. But most of the federal stuff gets destroyed. Yeah, or they give it to and me. So- or they give it. To, <laughs> yeah, they give it to civil. The fucking man, <laughs> salt in the wound. Just like hey, look at me. <laughs> Turns out yeah. I was the poor that was getting flexed on. Yeah, it's it's me, dude. I'm the poor. And so, you know, it's it's just stuff like that. It's you know, it's it is. It's it's trying to be good stewards. But like, again, we grew up in the DIY like punk scene. Like if we wanted a shirt, we screen printed it ourselves. Yeah. Like, you know, that was the mentality. Like if we wanted something. That you know, you couldn't just go out and put your hands on, or it was cost prohibitively expensive. We would yeah. just make it. Um, you know, I have so I still have so many hoodies and sweatshirts that we made. You know, that's like two hundred eight HXC. You know, and <laughs> stuff like that. That you know was, and it's at this point, it's memorabilia to you know my <laughs> younger, rowdier days. But that that DIY sense has really bled through the rest of my entire life. Because I'm like, no one else is going to do it for me. Like, yeah, I could. I guess I could pay somebody to come do it for me. But why would I do that? Just learn the skill. Do it yourself. Like yeah. you, you like you have the time. You may not have the money to do that. Like, but you have the time. If you want nice shit, like learn how to make broke shit, good shit. And then you have a skill to do it. Like, I mean, so it's like. That's been my whole entire adventure with like the P25 radios, the the EF Johnsons, the XTS is like uh, it's just like you you can go to somebody and buy uh, like a radio that's in like like new condition uh, programmed and, and all this kind of stuff. But like you're going to pay the money for it, whereas yeah. like I can go on eBay and I can buy like the radio only can buy some antennas. I can buy some batteries. I can get a charger. And then, well, now I just have to learn how to put all that together and program it. And that's, that's what I did. And look (laughs) at the, look at the end result. The end result is, you know, more than 95% of the people out there. Yeah. And and then I tell my buddies, it's just like, I can get you one of these radios, you know, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a, 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 a quote together basically i'll basically like put a quote together and just like if if i like know you personally or whatever i'm, I'm not gonna like upcharge you just buy the stuff i'll put it together yeah. i've probably already got code plugs for it i don't have to even program it anymore i just clone the code plug to the radio and, and i give it to you and you're you're set you're you're good to go um and you know that is a huge plus because that takes that's cut my cost down dramatically i have six or seven p25 radios and i've spent Less than a thousand dollars for like everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's like again, habitual Facebook marketplace, eBay guy. Um, you know, it's like I I have a mystery ranch comms four. You look retail on that, it's like seven hundred and twenty bucks. That I backpack was, you have? Yeah, yeah, it's a seven hundred dollar backpack. I was hunting around on eBay one night, just clicking around, and I was like, comms four on eBay. Okay, guy had a best offer. If you give me the option to haggle with you, I'm gonna haggle with you. Yeah. And so I like, 
I lowballed him. I sent him like 250 bucks. He came back and he was, I woke up in the morning. He'd accepted it. And then I, I, like, I got it. It's all new with tags. And I look at this thing and I go, this fell off the back of a truck. Like it fell off. The, it fell off the back of the truck right into his, the trunk of his car. Yeah. And, Cause I mean, it was military fresh. Like it had that, that like pesticide smell yeah. to it. Yeah. That's yep. it's what it smelled like. But I was like, Hey, my tax dollars paid for this. I might as well get some benefit out of it. Yeah, fuck it. But, I mean, I just did the same thing recently on an, <laughs> I have a serious problem. <laughs> I, uh, I I just did the same thing on eBay on another uh, radio. I I uh, went on eBay and um, dude selling a VP six hundred that's like missing a a channel knob, and uh-huh. uh, I just and then you found wrote, another eBay ad for the channel knob, and so you know I haven't actually found the channel knob assembly yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I I just lowballed the fuck out of like the the listing and was like accepted. I was like, yeah. okay, well now I have to find a channel knob. And that's what I'm trying to do. I, I need the I need the concentric right. switch, the channel wheel with the one through sixteen, and I need the knob. I need the whole I need the whole fucking Ooh. shabam. And uh you know anybody actually, with a 3D I, printer? Huh? <laughs> you know anybody with a 3D printer? See the problem is You actually I mean, need the hardware switch. Yeah, I need the actual hardware switch that like uh. keys into there's like a little I don't know, like if I get the radio, um, I think C five's getting a three D printer. I might be able to to like CAD something up uh to make it work. I contacted uh through Anarcho Bacon was like, Hey, there's a Kenwood dealer uh in Florida. Uh hit him up and I, I hit him up and he was like, Yeah, let me see what I can do. Send me an email to my like work email. Um, that was like four days ago. I haven't heard anything yet, but he's going to try and find me a, a, a channel knob selector assembly for a VP 600 or it's the VP 100, 600, 900, like what 400, whatever they make. But um, they're all the same. Um, can, so, yeah, can we all get on the same page, though, with they need to come up with better names for radios and like <laughs> something that makes way more sense. Like they just I, like like letter number. Like, yeah, they're just like, uh, I don't know, call it a call. It, like I, ICOM at least has some sort of like semi rational when it comes to stuff. Like if you're looking for brackets, it'll start with like MB and I'm guessing that's because it's mounting bracket and then it'll be like 62 a. And so it's like, oh, 62 revision a I can I can understand like my OCD can understand this like n- naming nomenclature, but the fact that like ICOM came out with an IC seven hundred three, which was like a copy of the seven hundred six, but it was a QRP. But then they came out with a with the seven hundred five, which was nothing like either of those radios, and we're just gonna raw dog that number right into the middle of like these two other numbers, and I'm just like, why did you do that? Everyone does it, whether whether it's Motorola, Icom, Yesu. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're talking about. They all just do like it's it's like that same the Yesu FT number number number, it, or yeah. it's number 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 letter like a Delta version, and then there's yeah. Icom does the same thing, and then Motorola. Is, okay, unpopular opinion. Alfang UV5R stands for UHF VHF five watt radio. That's probably what it stands for. 
I never thought That's exactly that. what it stands for. I mean, how, how simple is that? So what if they did like Motorola did like Motorola P2578 model seven? This is like the seventh revision. No, it's like we're going to start. No, it's not what they do. And the 6,000 is a 700. And a 7,000 is 700 in VHF. And the 8,000, but I have a theory on this. The 8,000 is just how much it costs. Like an APX 8,000, they were just like, how much, how, like, what should we name it? They're just like, how much does it cost? And they're like, about 8,000. They're like, cool, APX 8,000. <laughs> they're making a fucking killing on those things. Dude. And like, it went, like, they have soup. I will, like I said, I will give it to it. It has a good receiver. It is discrete components. Like it's, you don't run into like overloading. Like you, I really can't overload the front end of it. Um, I had it sitting in my passenger seat. Um, my XCS 5000 had it sitting in the passenger seat and I'm running a 50 watt VHF radio in my truck on a five eighths wave collinear. So I'm getting about, I don't know, four, call it four dB a gain. Um, so I'm blasting that radio with like, call it a hundred watts. Uh, didn't overload the front end at all. And I was like, okay, I'll, this radio has some like gumption. Like it's like, it can literally take in that much energy and just like give you a nice clear voice, like yeah. out of the speaker. I was like, okay. Cause I, I mean, a Balfang, you'd key up like that and they just go blank. The Kenwoods are the same way. Yeah. The EF Johnsons, the EF Johnsons are even better because the the EF Johnson, the fifty one hundred, at least the ESs, um, the V six boards, they have AMBE uh, two like AMB. I think EF Johnson goes AMBE two plus vocoders, and it's even better than the than the Motorola XTS line. Oh man, the, the yeah, Motorola is. uses IMBE uh, Gen one vocoder, and uh-huh. not only that, but the 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 signal sensitivity on these things is so far superior from any Yesu, VTech, any tone, radiotity, Redivis. Now I will I will say if okay, let's 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 do this. We'll close out the podcast. Our 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 final our final roundtable. Give me your ideal radio. I'll start off because I had this I had this realization today. Give me a Kenwood TH74A. So the like tri-band amateur radio that Kenwood made, but build it like a, what is Is it the Viking 8000? Yeah. Like this that's super, yeah. So give me like that ruggedness, but give me the wideband receiver, single sideband. Like I can listen to shortwave. I can listen to AM. Like give me the entire receiver spectrum and then give me VHF, UHF and 220 transmit. Like I would pay, I would pay $8,000 for that handheld. Like that to me would be, is like chef's kiss. That would be the radio. I mean, as far as what is basically available on the market right now, I really, no, no, I'm saying dream radio. Dream radio. I mean, that's basically something you were saying. I could probably do without the 220. Um, but I mean, more, more capabilities, obviously, um, nice but uh 
yeah, basically something like the VP8000 as far as like ruggedness and uh, functionality with multiple modes, um, multiple algorithms. I'll tell you what would be really awesome is like a, like a new or unique like waveform. Uh, if somebody was to to generate, uh, we've talked about that in the group a little bit. Like, um, if if somebody could engineer, you know, different, which they do it all the time. You know, RF engineers are always experimenting with new like waveform uh, technologies and stuff like that. But like, and I forget, Comms and Logistics was mentioning some kind of new waveform technology that uh, that the like military is starting to use, um, which which is like really awesome stuff. Um, but like, yeah, give me something like that with uh, very wide capabilities. Like you were saying, having having some more like the the ham kind of qualities to it, like single sideband AM functionality as well. But like, I don't know what goes into like, you know, I've never dove into like building a radio. Like, I don't know what yeah. goes into like making a receiver capable of all those things. But I can't imagine that it's easy. That's why these radios. That's why there are so many different radios that are. Well, um, I look at it from the fact of like, so Kenwood built that radio. Like they built that, but they were looking at it going like, oh, it's going to ham radio, guys. It's not going to be used in the field. We don't need to make it rugged. We don't need to make it waterproof. Like, but like, what do these people want? And it's like, oh, well, they may want to listen to like shortwave radio or be able to listen in on, you know, 20 meter single sideband and be able to monitor that stuff. Um but again, like they're not going to be using it in a duty like format. But I'm like, dude, for a serious like give me a survivalist radio and like I want to be able to listen to shortwave, but then be able to transmit like that to me. I was just like, man, it, like that Kenwood radio. And again, if I would have known that a five hundred dollar like ham radio would be selling for a thousand dollars like in this day. I would have bought stock because like find me one for sale for like under 800 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about that? That, uh, that, uh, are you talking about, is that a Kenwood you were talking about? Yeah. So Kenwood made it. Um, it came out right around the time of the FT three. Um, Yesu came out with the FT three and Kenwood came out with this one. I think it's the TH dash 72 or 74 a. Oh, and it has dual about. receivers. So, like, you can listen and transmit at the same time. So, like, if you're talking to a satellite, you can actually be talking. You can hear yourself coming back through the satellite because it has dual receivers in it. Um, but, like, ditch the D-Star. I don't want D-Star. Ditch the D-Star. Give me, uh, like, P25. There's one on eBay right now for 490 Holy shit, that's cheap. At least that's what it looks like. A Kenwood uh, THD uh, 74A tri-band handheld receiver and accessories bundle. I'm grabbing my phone. Where's my phone? Free I think I'm um... far enough away from myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's place bid. Current bid is 490 Okay. Oh, yeah. That's there a, you go. There's almost... 30 bids. There's one day and 19 hours left. It's gonna go for way more than that. Oh, I yeah. did that the other. I did that the other day with an eight nine one. I uh, I placed my five hundred dollar bid on it, uh, thinking that I was buying it now, but I was not. Oh shit. <laughs> okay, Mikey, go. 
Um, I don't think I am qualified enough to answer this question. I mean, I don't think my perfect radio exists. Um, I want something that I can play Doom on. That's important. So it's gotta yeah. have it's gotta have it's gotta have ALE and be able to do uh 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 um <laughs> uh dial up modem speeds. No, um I I would really I I I'm really into more of like the vehicle base like I'm not trying to haul around a backpack all the time and I know that you don't always get to make that decision for yourself but l- realistically like that's that's where I'm at and so I think something that's 100 watts all band uh with separate antenna ports like basically like if I could get an 891 with 220 um that also was like ruggedized and weatherproof and maybe had a battery compartment that's probably like my perfect radio yeah. Oh, and P25 and digital, obviously. But yeah. I yeah. The one thing the that they tools. really need to start doing is a digital. They need to come out with a digital voice mode for uh, HF. Like that needs to. Is there I know no for that. I mean, you get you get twenty three hundred kilohertz. Like I would imagine that. I I would imagine that you got enough bandwidth there. Um, There's some people that do D Star and like do D Star. Yeah, because I think the 7300, the 7610, and the 705 can all do D-Star on HF. And it's over bandwidth, but fuck the FCC. Nice. <laughs> nice. We need to make that sticker. So in our classes, like we've always wanted to do this thing where like, we have a hat that has, says like FCC on it. So it's like when I'm giving you like the rule of the law, like the FCC rule of the law, I can put on my FCC hat and tell you like this is the rule of the law. These are the like these are the things that will get you in trouble. These are the things that won't. And then I can take it off and be like, but in real life, here's how you skirt that. Like, you know, put on your pirate hat. Exactly. Oh, yeah, there we go. I'll just put on a. Yeah, I'll go. get myself a pirate hat. What about, what about, uh, it's what like, why would, why would anybody ever want to hop on LMR itinerant frequencies and use encryption? I don't know why you would do that. I don't because, know why you would do that either. You know, it's it's like, that's where encrypted comms are used anyway, and they can't find you if you're encrypted. So I don't know why anybody would ever want to do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that is I mean it's a really good question. Like it is a yeah. like you run into that like circular logic where it's like okay, I have encryption but like I'm where I'm in a frequency space where you can use encryption like and people do it all the time here. So how do they know that I'm not allowed to have it? And like but people are like yeah, but you're not supposed to do that and you're like <laughs> <laughs> but who's gonna know it, they this is also like i don't know why anybody would choose that the, the frequencies that are meant for like general use on lmr to do that anyway like why why would you do that <laughs> <laughs> Listen, what's your, i'm what's not telling perfect, anybody to do it what's what's your perfect radio over there mr gucci radio me yeah, you. Yeah. Oh well, my perfect radio is the uh, what is this? It's, it's an APX seven thousand R. No, I'm just kidding. No, 
I want, okay, so uh, short answer, I'm going to keep it practical. I want a digital radio that I can encrypt, voice traffic. It'd be nice to have frequency hopping that is synchronized. Uh, and I'm going to say that the digital protocol needs to be DMR because that's what most of the people that we run into that we train with, they have DMR. They don't have P25. They don't want to mess with the headache of P25. They don't want to mess with the accessibility of P25. Uh, DMR is accessible. So if I could if I could come across a handheld radio that's DMR, that has encryption, that has frequency hopping, I would check all the boxes for me. And it would needs to have TMS because uh, encrypted TMS at that. If, if, there was, if there was a way to do that, then that's the ultimate secure communications protocol. I like yeah. how I like how I like how scarred we all are by the radio industry because all of us were like, yeah, I guess it can. You were like, I guess it should have DMR and not P25 because that's what most of my friends run. None of us just said, why doesn't it just have all of them? <laughs> like, why doesn't it run? Why doesn't it run? Why doesn't it run DMR, P25, uh, uh, D-Star, Wires X? Like, why doesn't it just have all of those? And then plus, uh, I don't know, let's say uh, an open sandbox for us to develop our own. Hey, what, Tito, what was that radio that, uh, Tito, what was that radio that Pacific Comms found? You remember what that thing was called? I was, I was just thinking about that thing. Oh, that, that, um, I, the, um, the, the, the computer AI generated thing that does everything, apparently. Yeah. I forget what it was called. That thing's like a, I don't even know, but. Yeah, it, um, looked, it looked like a heat gun on a Baofeng case with like 50 keypad. Yeah. Radio. But yeah, it's like 50 buttons on the front. I mean, it is one of those things, though, you think about, like, why couldn't you have, like, why couldn't they build a radio that has both P25 and DMR, like, in the same, like. They have it. That's what they're doing. They're doing that. Yep. The, the P8000 is supposed to have DMR, Next Edge, and uh, P25, um, uh, and you can do well, they, all of those on on the same code plug. Apparently, the NX5300 um, can do DMR and P25, or it can do DMR and, and NX10. Yeah, you can only have two digital protocols plus analog on the on the 53 or the I, I think it's the NX5000 series. You can have DMR and Next Edge, or you can have P25, and you can have two of the three plus analog and a code plug. But I guess on the VP8000s, you can have all of them in a code plug, as long as they're enabled in the radio, which you're going to have to pay for through the licensing and stuff. So really what happened was is that, like, that Kenwood was, they saw the APX8000 and they were like, hold my beer. Like, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what they did. The, the, <laughs> Kenwood was like, Kenwin was like, we can put that radio to shame for half. Here's the, the thing. Why? And okay, this is this an amateur radio diatribe right here. Why are all of Kenwood's amateur radio like like their HF transceivers look like they were built in the 80s? Because <laughs> they were like, <laughs> yeah, they were. They have brand new radios that have come out. They still look like they're built in the 80s. And let me, like, they are, yeah. Throw me a model number. I think, like, a, trying to think, like, an 890S. Right, I I'm forget what they up. use as their, like, as their prefix. But, yeah, I mean, and they're one of those companies that gives you, like, a knob and a button for every single function. Yeah, you got the 890S, like, you, the, the 890, or the 990. This looks like a uh, 1980s era stereo. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a Macintosh stereo. Yeah, from the why 80s. is there 500 fucking buttons on that thing? 
It's also $5,299. Oh my god. Okay, so here you go. You want to you want to cry a little bit? Look up an Elacraft. I don't want to. That sounds expensive. Those are hand built in America. There's a I think it's the KX2 which is kind of the competitor to a 705. I think a fully loaded KX2 is nearly 3 grand and it does like 8 watts. Oh no no no. Jeez. I think it'll go up to 15 on like 20 KX3. through 10. Yeah, the KX3. KX3 it is 1877 used on eBay. Yeah, if you go to new and then click all of the like you can get like an internal tuner and a 2 meter module and like all the bells and whistles, and it'll come out to like over 3K. Or you can order it as a kit and build it yourself. I was going to say, I got both of you now just like looking at radios. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at, I went to Kenwood's freaking, geez, Kenwood is making some nice fucking LMR stuff, dude. Oh, dude, Kenwood is, they make. Like not even the VP series stuff, like the NX series stuff is like sexy. I love Kenwood radios. I just am really confused why they're just like, listen, 80s peak design. I'm trying to figure out if Kenwood makes a LMR HF radio. It doesn't look like it. Um, I don't think they do. I think ICOM, ICOM has them. ICOM um, makes the 8101, which is just for I think Kenwood. I think Kenwood could outdo an ICOM LMR HF radio for less money. Codan is where it's at, though. If you want, like, LMRHF, Codan is the, like, I want to say it's like a, I forget what the model number is. But if you look up, like, Codan HF, like, those are the oh, ones that God. all the Australians run. And those are some of the nicest HF radios. Um, I tried to get my hands on one out of, like, Hungary. The guy was selling them out of... Uh, um, Oh, what did he say the cover story was? It was like right when the war in Ukraine kicked off. And it, they were like taken out of some sort, like basically like Red Cross vehicles. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. And he was selling them for way too cheap, like ludicrously too cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's really too bad Harris sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Some of Harris's new stuff is looking pretty nice. Harris is uh, Harris is taking over Florida. Uh, we have an L3 Harris shop here in DFW. I saw it. It's right over where uh, Kenwood's office is, and right next door to Road and Schwartz. But uh, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, Kenwood is based in like Orlando, or not? I'm sorry, L3 L3 Harris is like based in uh, in like Orlando, and they're taking over um, Florida. I actually went to apply for a job at uh, at a place that does uh, a lot of the work for Kenwood, like a contractor, basically a contracting company that does a lot of the, the work up here in like North Florida for Harris. And uh, um, he, the dude took me into the shop and showed me like there there's like 14 million dollars in all new like Harris equipment, like sitting on the floor. And uh, he they had all the brochures and stuff for all the new like Kenwood portables. And he was showing me. Um, it, and I was looking on the website, the, the stuff's looking pretty, it's looking pretty good. A lot better than what they were doing with like the, the XG 100s and, and shit. I know we've been podcasting for about two hours because you started that sentence and you're like, Kenwood is based. And I almost jumped in and said, Kenwood is based, but <laughs> then you're telling me where they're based out of. So 
<laughs> but then I but then I realized I was supposed to be talking about Harris, and yeah, we're like three hours in. <laughs> <laughs> we're like three hours in. I was looking at some of the other episodes because I was like, I don't remember them being this long. Uh, but no, we just talk a lot, so that's cool. Yeah, we talk. I mean, yeah. they're usually like two hours. That's yeah. the dangerous part about getting both of us on like on, on a podcast is like, yeah, we'll like we'll we'll you know, we'll run out the clock because let's go for the marathon. We're going to go. We're going to do the first ever 12 hour podcast. <laughs> I, I always say it is a dangerous. It's a super dangerous thing to ask Mikey anything about any sort of music or music culture. Like, because he can give you the dissertation on it. Like, if you ask him about, you know, the origins of, say, black metal in Scandinavia, you know, circa 1990, like, sit down and, like, have a second because we're going to be here a while. Like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's not go there because that's a conversation that I want to have. <laughs> yeah. You have me on Discord now, so you can just have that conversation with me. Um, especially if you want to talk about black metal, Diablo Four just came out. That's probably what I'm going to be doing all weekend is listening to black metal and playing Diablo Four. So yeah, I'm all I'm all new metal. Yeah, I'll stop there. That's okay. We can fix you. I can fix you, probably, baby. I probably need to get some music recommendations from from uh, from you. Actually, I got you. Don't yeah. listen to Era, E R R A, best new metal mm-hmm. bands out there right now. <laughs> They're from Florida. I was going to say, if you, uh, you know, if you want a good Idaho recommendation, uh, ingrown, ingrown, like yeah. that's a, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a good one. They, they're, they're solid. I got a toenail so. like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite, I mean, my current favorite is Kublai Khan. Like those guys, and those guys are Texas. Um, and they're you doing, heard, I mean, you ever listen to job for cowboy? <laughs> yeah yeah back in the yeah. day yeah yeah or you guys see that <laughs> yes i do see that <laughs> this is my this is my favorite part of the podcast <laughs> we're just talking optic- about <laughs> job for a cowboy and looking at optics over webcams yeah, the optic- God, God bless america that optic's been on for at least seven days this optic doesn't auto off oh man you gotta have that shake to awake i'm poor i don't have that <laughs> no man it's all about lvpo or are we pat or no. has, have we gone past lvpo lvpos are not cool again yeah they're not cool anymore no okay i never well, like them you're telling me this isn't cool anymore i'm a dude with a, with like really bad astigmatism and so like lvpos are like my jam because i don't have to like oh man i have my glasses on and not my contacts my my reticle looks like a big blur Go get a primary arms, uh, one of those three. Uh, the prism. Yeah, I'm gonna get one of those. I'm gonna get one of the primary arms uh, prism dots, micro prisms. Well, I I do. I mean, I have like a little bit. Eh, I don't know whether it's sad news or not, but I did sell my, I did sell my AR-15. Um, I still own an AR-10, but uh. Pretty much, primarily, I just shoot my lever gun. So, because you know, America. why hit you with why hit you with fifty five when I can hit you with three hundred? Yeah, I think I did the math one time, and the so my uh, my you know, and I built one of those you know tactical lever guns with a you know it has M lock rail, and I have a light and pad and all the goodies on it. 
Uh, but I did the math and it holds seven in the tube plus one in the chamber. And I think at 350 grain, which is what I shoot for the hollow points, that that is more lead in those seven rounds than an entire 30 round magazine of an AR-15. And I think if you do the pound foot energy, I think it also, as long as it's not like a 20 incher, I think it still wins there too. But I only have seven as opposed to 30, so. I'm just a diehard rock out with your Glock out type of guy. <laughs> That's my 20 yeah. incher. This thing's actually really awesome. The audience can't see it, but. My, uh, my current, I keep on having the thought. So my AR-10 right now is 308. I keep on having the idea to turn it into a uh, 300 short mag. And that is just something that I can't. I, I, like, I'm just like, that'd be cool to have a 300 short mag AR-10 because reasons. I mean, <laughs> you should have just kept your fifth, your, your AR-15 and done a, a 458 swap. So I, I've always kind of wanted to build one right up until the point that I was shooting with a guy and he was having some major, major problems with like the jacketing coming off of his uh, 450. Or I guess that was a, is that a Bushmaster? I can't remember if it was 458 SOCOM or if it was like, what is it, 450 Bushmaster? Um, and it literally was shooting shrapnel. And like I'd caught shrapnel all across like the back of my hand. Um, like, because it was like the bullets were coming out of the muzzle and just disintegrating. His uh, his twist rate was too high. Yeah. Something was going on with his bear with his with the with the weight of the bullet and the twist rate of the barrel and the length and everything. And the the bullets were spinning too fast. Yeah, that's what I was telling him is I was like, dude, you're over RPMing these like bullets because they are coming out of here. And, you know, it was one of those we were shooting and I was like, what is hitting me? Like I kept on like feeling, you know, it was like I like, ouch. Is that one of those yeah. nickel boron VCGs? Yeah, this is a LWRC. I got the uh, direct impingement. I didn't get the piston. Like a uh, true man. Uh-oh, a... they're talking crap about piston guns, Mikey. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> my, my AR is piston-driven just like my AK, so let's go. <laughs> no, I, I like I, piston guns. I'm not opposed to piston guns at all, but the uh, harmonics on uh, uh, direct impingement match very well for free float handguards. And yeah, that, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, I mean, we are we are exactly at three hours. Yeah, let's wrap this up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before it's like 2 a.m. and we're five hours deep. <laughs> well, what we're stretching? Are we stretching three time zones right now? Uh, yeah, we are. we are. Yep. Yeah. Wait, what? How three? I'm in the central. We're oh, in, you're in central. Well, OK. Oh. Wait, is Florida Pacific and Central? Yes, no. Florida is Pacific and Central. Gross. Except for you, by Pacific, you mean Atlantic, Perfect. right? Atlantic, yeah. yeah. You yeah. mean Eastern yeah, time yeah. or Eastern? Yeah. Florida has. Why would we do that? Why do you name it Eastern, Central, Mountain, and then Pacific? Why wouldn't you have Eastern and Western or Atlantic and Pacific time? <laughs> we're three hours into the podcast and you're just now questioning government decision making <laughs> I feel like I gotta do this again <laughs> Florida has uh, Florida has Brondo it's what plants crave yeah, it's what plants crave <laughs> wait really? 
<laughs> I'm in I'm I'm in the part of Florida that is in the central time zone. I'm in the very far northwest part of uh, Florida. You're in the part that's almost Texas. Yeah. Uh, people call it Southern Alabama. <laughs> that's like what Alabama people call it. So my wife is from uh, Tennessee. Ah, so every once in a while we Alabama. find our yeah Northern Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Too much fun. Too much fun. All right, fun. boys. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate you uh, coming on. Tell uh, tell the audience where uh, we can find you, um, the website, you know, anything, whatever. Uh, HXComs.com. That's comms to, you know, two C's, two M's. So uh, you can find us there. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, if you message the the main HXE comms account, you're probably probably 85% of the time talking to me, but 15% of the time you could be talking to Mikey. Um, we bounce back and forth between those two. And uh, but yeah, slide into our DMs, uh, you know. Mikey, uh, if you want to go ahead and shout out all your stuff. Uh, my stuff's all the same. Um, if you want my comms account, it's W7HXC underscore comms. Super original. Uh, but that'll that'll keep you posted up to date with there. We just kind of separated out to, to spread the content out. And we kind of both uh, have a different uh, algorithm curated. Uh, and then if you're in Idaho, uh, in the in the southwest Idaho area, you can probably catch me monitoring the Black Cle- Black's Creek repeater. So uh, give awesome. that one a whirl. Yeah. Where um where are your guys' classes mainly? Are you up there in the Idaho area for the most part? Yeah, we run we run local classes. Uh, I think we said earlier on the podcast in conjunction with uh, a place called uh, SimShot, and we're just starting yeah. those up. Those should be like monthly classes. Uh, but we have all of our uh, we have all of our rates uh, for traveling and doing classes elsewhere online. So we've got a consultation form up there. So we've taught classes up in Seattle. Uh, we've taught classes uh, you know a couple hours west of us. So uh, we're not afraid to, to get out there and travel to you. It's just we got to figure out the timing and the money. Awesome. Nice. I like what you guys are doing. It's uh, it's really cool. It was awesome talking with you. Yeah, for it's sure. Good. Yeah. Somebody has to, you know, like I said, for all those people out there that want to actually get hands on with stuff, you know, sometimes it's you got to find the guys that are willing to, you know, have radios will travel. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you need sometimes. I'll close it with a, a quote from one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Ben from Havoc Holsters. He says, no one's coming to do it for you and just be a good dude. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Well, gentlemen, it was awesome talking with you. Anytime. Yeah. Later, later. Night, everyone. Later.